All right, welcome back everybody to our pre-convention ACB 2022 Conference and Convention Board of Directors meeting. Is everybody back with us? If you're not here, say so. Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is Chris okay? I'm a little, he left before we break, took a break, right? Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Welcome back, everybody. We are now at agenda item 10, which is our staff reports. So I will turn it over to our executive director, Eric Bridges. Yeah. All right. Well, good afternoon. Uh, not going to go through everything that was in my report. Um, I will highlight a, just a couple of things. One, um, as, as we spoke earlier, uh, there has been uh, the departure of Tony Stevens, uh, which means that we will be recruiting uh, likely end of July and in August for a director of development. And uh, for those of you that saw the PR specialist position opening uh, come through in, in uh, April, a couple weeks into the search for that position, uh, Tony uh, came to me and announced that he would be leaving, which changed uh, my calculus as to uh, the, the skill sets and experience needed for a role like that. And we wound up having a couple of individuals that had managerial experience uh, that interviewed uh, that were good, but it didn't wind up working out. So what, what we're going to do is, and we already have pulled the, the specialist position and we've notified uh, the candidates. And uh, what we'll be doing here in the next month, it, it, the next probably couple of weeks, is releasing a position opening for a, a manager of communications uh, that will uh, be focused more in media relations and, if possible, uh, some, somebody that has some experience with events and events planning. Uh, as you look at some of our fundraising opportunities that we have, uh, the Audio Description Awards Gala, which will be November, November 29th uh, this fall. Uh, it will be virtual again. It will be a pre-produced event once again, but the intent is to have that be a, a, an in-person uh, attended uh, fundraiser. Uh, and you look at Get Up and Get Moving and some of the some of the activities that we're continuing to try and uh, identify, you know, for, for public participation, there is a need within the organization to, to have somebody that does have some level of, of events and events planning experience. So, um, and that, in, that individual, uh, when hired, will report to me, uh, as will 
the director of development. So uh, it's been it's been challenging uh, the last couple months of you know just to be real direct with you all uh, being down multiple people um, having you know uh, it's wonderful to have Kelly Gask back but the same week she went on maternity leave Jennifer Flat um, left the organization to pursue other opportunities so it it's made the communications uh, arm of what we do pretty challenging when you're down to really good people. The one nice thing I will say, though, is is been bringing on Rick Morin and Larry Gassman uh, to to manage ACB Media and to <clears throat> help continue to professionalize uh, that communications channel uh, for our organization. It, it's been it's been enormous. Um, the the Ukraine event that we simulcast and that so many ACB members uh, performed and in um, was was tremendous and and uh, Rick Rick's involvement uh, from ACB was was tremendous. So you know these are these are all things that happen inside an organization as as an organization grows. Um, you know. It's my job to go and find the right people, and uh, that's what we're going to do here moving forward over the next couple months. Some of it's going to be with the help of Bill Reeder. Uh, some of it is, is you know, again, working with staff to, as we're interviewing uh, finalists for the, for the communications role as well as the development director role to involve staff in in uh, speaking with the finalists to make sure that, you know, that, that they are a right fit for our organization uh, because we're, while we've grown a lot, we're still small in a lot of ways. And when you have, when you lose somebody, uh, a big gap comes into view and that's been observed the last couple months, but we will, we'll get through this. Um, and, you know, Moving on into the fall, uh, it's my expectation that we will be fully staffed. Are there questions? Thank you, ma'am. Eric, you guys do such a tremendous job, and I'm, I'm always looking at everything you guys accomplish, and it's, it's truly amazing to me, especially from having staff of my own in the past. What what can we do? Uh, because I know there has to be a level of burnout. What can we do as a board or as members to help uh, you in keeping that down? Because I know when when a staff member contacts me on Saturday for something, or late at night, or if they're on a committee, uh, what are, what are we doing to uh, kind of alleviate some of this? Yeah. So one of the nice things that I've observed over the last year or two is that more uh, member related meetings have been during normal work hours or in the early evening. <laughs> Deb. Deb just said we're all retired. Um, um, that, that, that is something that has been, I would say, greatly appreciated by the staff. Uh, in particular, the the steering committee 
uh, calls, the majority of them are taking place now during a, a nine to five work day. Um, you know, the, the people that work for us are, are here because they're passionate, right? So you don't have somebody staring at their watch uh, when it's 4.38 in the afternoon waiting, waiting for the next 22 minutes to go by. Um, you know, there's Nancy laughs. I feel like I'm doing audio description. Um, right. Right. So, um, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, we've got, you know, we've got people that are willing to work and they're doing it. Um, and, and they're, they're, they're doing their best. I I think, uh, just understanding on the weekends that, uh, many of us have, uh, have families. Um, there does need to be some level of boundary setting that occurs um, with regard to participation um, in events on weekends. I, I do talk to my team some about that because there are people like Cindy um, that could literally work seven days a week. Um, just by virtue of, uh, you know, what she manages. But I think just being cognizant um, that that we all we all have lives. We care very deeply about ACB, but we need we need a little bit of, of uh, distance and a little bit of boundary. Alexandria office. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So Dan asked um, about the Alexandria office that was referenced in my report. Um, we were approached by the uh, real estate agent for our, our landlord, which ironically is a school district now um, that, you know, we're in a, a four story, I think it's about a 75,000 square foot building. Uh, and we're on the fourth floor. The, Next summer, the second and third floors of our building are going to be renovated, and it's going to be very loud for a prolonged period of time, um, which we encountered two years ago, right before the pandemic, when a doctor's office moved into where AER's headquarters were, right next door. It was pretty awful. Um, this is going to be a prolonged thing. Um, the The commercial real estate market in in uh, the Northern Virginia area has remained uh, rather soft um, as there are still a number of businesses and parts of the federal government that are not back at work uh, in person. So there, there are opportunities out there for us to explore the, our landlord is offering to obviously um, you know, abide by the terms of the lease, but if we so choose, uh, would let us out of the lease without penalty if we found a place that that worked for us. And what I'd like for us to be able to do is to explore that, to see if there would be some cost savings, to see if there would be office space that would be of similar size um, that may use um, that particular space more efficiently than what we have right now. I think it's around 2,200 square feet that we're in. I wouldn't be looking to go crazy and move up to 3,000 square feet, but stay in the same, the same range that, that we're in right now and 
see if we can see if we can get you know as good a deal, if not a better deal, than what we have. I would I would like uh, um, I would entertain. Uh, well, I'd probably hit Larry. <laughs> yeah. Just tell me yeah. All right. So, um, so Ray's going to grab a mic to make okay, a motion. Yes. I, I would move that the Alexandria staff be um, in, given the opportunity to explore other similar office options in the uh, in the immediate area. Would you be kind to amend that to the executive director and chief financial officer? Yes. Yep. Yes, I'm, I'm fine with that. Okay. All right. Do I have a second? Uh, Connie Sims has seconded the motion. Are any discussion? Again, this is just to explore and bring back possibilities to the board. Do we have any hands, Katie, in Zoom that would like to speak? We do not. Okay. All right. Hearing no discussion, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? All right. Thank you very much. I'll hand it back to Eric. Thank you. Other questions? <laughs> Uh, Eric, not so much a question, but um, good work. I noticed that you uh, pulled in a couple of large grants within the last four months or so. It's nice work with everything going on and a convention to put together. Well, thank so, you. Uh, a lot of that credit goes to to Jolene Bailey Page, uh, as well as uh, Tony Stevens and their work with people like Cindy Hollis to help um, get the data necessary to, to get the, the grant from Reader's Digest. Uh, I, I would also just say we have a brand new health hero for Get Up and Get Moving, and that is Nike, which is really cool, guys. Like, yeah. So the, the, this relationship is one of these things where you get to know somebody and they have a really good career and then they switch jobs, which is what happened. Her name is Megan Lawrence. She's the global director of uh, accessibility now at Nike. And she'd spent the last five, six years working at, uh, at Microsoft and before that with Josh Mealy uh, at Smith Kettlewell. And so she's somebody that I've gotten to know. I consider her uh, a friend as well. She's going to be here. She'll be here uh, for the, the, the walk tomorrow evening and the walk on Sunday. Um, she's bringing multiple pairs of Nikes, she told me. And um, she's, she's excited to come and hang out. She's, she's excited to come and hang out. And, um, you know, we're going to see where this relationship takes us. But uh, Nike is very new to the, uh, to the disability accessibility world. And so I think that there's a lot that, that ACB and our membership can do to help uh, 
provide assistance and, uh, and collaboration in, in the years to come. In addition to that, I would just say there's a couple of other new uh, first-time sponsors for the convention. Uh, one is Johnson & Johnson. They came in this year uh, as an Emerald sponsor, 15000 which is great. And that, that relationship was developed through people that knew people that came to me that wanted to talk about uh, Johnson & Johnson's rare eye disease uh, uh, pharma uh, eye drop uh, clinic and unit that they have launched this year. We also have MGM, and uh, that is something where we, we've had a relationship with MGM for about five or six years. They, I think, donated, Dan, Leslie, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe we got them to donate maybe one or two years, uh, hotel packages, things like that, but we, we, we were able to, uh, okay, so a couple of years ago, okay. Uh, yeah, well, I, the 15000 is good, so we'll, we'll try that again, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, we're, we're um, you know, the, those. And then uh, one other notable, um, a company that has increased their support for us, uh, Vespero. Vespero is a, a diamond sponsor for the first time. So 25,000 and uh, Matt Ader will be here along with other uh, Vespero employees representing Freedom Scientific, Bob Simonera, their CEO is going to do their sponsor uh, keynote tomorrow evening. He'll be live through Zoom, which will be cool. And uh, Dan and I have gotten to know Bob fairly well over the last, uh, what, four or five months. He did the keynote luncheon for the was it the president's meeting? DC the DC leadership conference. Yeah, the president's meeting. Yeah, he, that's where we learned he had six dogs and he lived right next door to his daughter and son-in-law. So, yeah. All right. Mr. President, are we good? Am I good to hand it off to others here? Indeed. So... Just go back, go back, go to Clark. What do you need? Oh. That's not on. There you go. Okay. Ooh, hi. Uh, and with that, I will hand it over to our Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Clark Rockfall. Just a minute. We're coming. Thank you. All right. So Advocacy and Governmental Affairs Board reports uh, submitted as part of the consent agenda. Happy to answer any questions on that. Uh, Before questions, I would just like to highlight three items. Uh, Before highlighting the first one, Eric, are we good to... COVID test. Yes. Okay. Fabulous. Um, So a, a lengthy part of the 
report for the board. And the first item on the report for the board is the accessibility of at-home COVID tests. So that work is ongoing. Those conversations with the Department of Health and Human Services uh, will continue, possibly even while here at the convention, so we can ensure that as many people know about and have access to these tests, one of the ways that we will be increasing access to these more accessible and an emphasis on more accessible, not totally accessible in every way, but more accessible tests is that the Department of Health and Human Services will be shipping uh, I won't say how many, but a lot of these tests to our convention here in Omaha to make them available for folks here in person uh, to use on site to help increase, uh, you know, reduce anxiety and increase safety. Um, So this is late breaking just as of yesterday afternoon and here this morning. Um, So more information to follow, but we hope that they can get them here as soon as possible and so that folks can take advantage of having them available as quickly as possible. Another item, uh, the the second section of the board report focused on uh, website accessibility. As you've seen from the board report, and even more recently than the board report was written, the note uh, that Swatha Nandakumar shared over the president's list following the president's affiliates meeting and the co-chairs meetings where folks asked to have written updates out to uh, leadership and presidents on on that issue, as well as the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. There's been a lot going on related to web and online accessibility, and hopefully that's that drumbeat will continue to move um, move the Department of Justice and various agencies forward. Um, we are still pursuing legislation as well. Uh, however, that's much like a <laughs> much like accessibility, it's a journey. And sometimes you take two steps forward and one step back. So we are continuing our advocacy with our partners at the national level to help move forward both regulations and legislation to make the online environment as accessible as possible. And then a third item that I'd highlight, not included in the agenda, uh, but ever present and certainly in a year of midterms, elections, voting, voting, voting. So folks have probably seen on the list, uh, the, the great victories by the Bay State Council of the Blind and advocates in Rhode Island. Both states, uh, the governors signed into law legislation that allows for people with disabilities to receive, mark, and return absentee ballots accessibly and electronically. Uh, Unfortunately, Jeff Tom shared that we are not yet successful in California, uh, 
And as Ray just added, we're halfway there in Illinois. So there's still plenty of work to be done in this regard, but certainly want to celebrate those successes where we can and when we can. And then also I'd note, again, Swathananda Kumar, ACB's advocacy and outreach specialist, just participated on a disability voting access panel yesterday with several of our partners from the American Association of People with Disabilities, National Disability Rights Network, and others. So at, at this point, I'll stop and see if there are any questions. Hearing none, I'll pass the microphone back. No, I'll give it a moment. All right. Thanks all. Ah, okay. Okay. So Clark, part of what led to the debacle in my state was a sometimes ACB member and sometimes not, but a good guy who is a computer scientist and an, and an internet voting hater. Um, he and others of, of his ilk, I think, got to the to our Secretary of State. Um, and what I think that we need in, in some states, and I know we need it in mine, is a little better ability, because we had lengthy discussions with him, Gabe Griffith and I did, and it is hard for us as lay people and advocates to do much about persuading these folks. And maybe that's an impossible task, but if there is a better way to make arguments to these folks, it would certainly be nice to have it in our back pocket. So I throw that out for whatever it's worth. And, and Jeff, when you say these folks, you mean the cybersecurity yes, computer exactly. science crowd. Exactly. Yes. Um, and, and that's, that is a, a common refrain. Uh, there are folks in the computer science community that believe that 100% of elections must be 100% secure 100% of the time. And the only way to do that is with wet ink on a paper ballot. Um, that is not feasible for people with disabilities. And this is a, a conversation that we often have with our partners, um, with members of government, because in, a, in addition to requirements for elections to be secure, um, we have civil rights as well, and our elections need to be accessible for people with disabilities. We are working with several folks who will be here present at this convention, uh, notably the folks from Democracy Live and the folks from Tusk Philanthropy, who are working not only to improve the accessibility and security of technology, but also working with researchers to provide uh, information on how this can be accomplished. Uh, also in California, I would note that Microsoft sent in a letter of support supporting the bill. Yes, that's uh, true. So I, I think we are making some headway 
Uh, we're not going to be able to change everyone's mind, but that is a that's a major hurdle that has to be cleared in a lot of the policy conversations surrounding electronic voting. Um, the last point I'll make there is that 32 states allow electronic voting, including ballot return for uh, members of the military and overseas voters, but now only 12 states offer that for people with disabilities. So if it's secure enough for voters overseas, it should be secure enough for people with disabilities. All right, Ray, we could have just shared. We're yeah, two we could seats have. apart. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, um, I guess, well, I certainly would agree with Jeff. I mean, we've already been told there are some pretty high-profile groups ready to swoop in and try to derail any efforts that we would get into in Illinois for electronic return. And the problem we have is we don't have it for UACAVA voters either. So be looking forward to uh, more guidance on that. And I guess my question is, how, how much, Clark, do you think this continued aggravating uh, drumbeat but that some want to continue to engage in that the 2020 election was stolen hurts us in getting getting to electronic return uh the way i would answer that question is that the more conversations there are about uh, the uncertainty of election results, um, I would say, makes folks more paranoid about election security. Uh, it's pretty interesting when you look at the states that have passed uh, electronic accessible voting, you know, for the in, the entire voting system uh, of ballot delivery, marking, and return. West Virginia. West Virginia did it through the House, the Senate, and through Republican House, Republican Senate, signed by a Republican governor. Um, North Dakota. Allen and Zelda uh, and tremendous advocates in North Dakota got a bill passed last year. Um, There are other... we'll call them purple states where it's been more challenging, not because of the policy, but because of the politics. Um, But they've still found ways to get it done. And then recently uh, several bluer states or more democratic states have started to pass electronic voting and electronic ballot return. Uh, so it, I don't see it as being a partisan issue, but if there are if there are folks that have security concerns, any instance where the security of elections are challenged makes it more difficult to overcome the concerns generally.
Hi, Clark. It's Chris Bell. So two questions. Um, are there any states that you're aware of that have permitted UOCAVA electronic balloting return that are now trying to undo that, number one? And number two, do we have any... Do we have affiliates in states that how have UOCAVA electronic return balloting that we can pursue litigation in as we did in North Carolina? Chris, both great questions. One thing that we've started to see this year uh, to, you know, to, to raise point as well, there are now being introduced in some states um, bills saying that no part of the voting process may be connected to or conducted over the internet. Um, so for example, that uh, bill language that immediately comes to mind, uh, South Carolina, Kentucky, and New York. Um, and South Carolina, for certain, allows UOCAVA voters to vote electronically. In some cases, it's limited to uh, the after voting has been conducted, and it's the ballot counting equipment and machines. Uh, but I'd say that that is a, a trend that we have noticed. And then your second question, yes, there are certainly states where some states where our affiliates are either non-existent or less active that allow UOCAVA voters to return their ballots electronically, but other states where we do have active affiliates um, that do not allow voters with disabilities but do allow UOCAVA uh, voters to return their ballots electronically. And I think that provides a great roadmap for pursuing either legislative or legal advocacy in the future. On that note, just a couple of weeks ago um, in Alabama, a lawsuit was filed by the ACLU, I believe the Southern Poverty Law Center and NFB of Alabama on that very topic. I can. Uh, the question was, it, uh, if we could prepare a list of states that allow uh, UOCAVA or uniformed and military overseas voters to return their ballots electronically, um, can we provide that? Chris, you said to you, do you mean to, the, to whom? To the Advocacy Steering Committee. Yes, we can do that. I have two hands on Zoom. Yes, are these are these ACB board of directors? No. No, I think we're just 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 hearing from the board right now. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, uh, I'll hand it back to Eric for the next uh, staff report. Thank you, Clark. Yes. Thank you all. And actually, one thing with uh, with Tony's departure, 
uh, I'm very pleased that uh, Clark will become the staff lead on the Get Up and Get Moving committee. Wow. He's got some fans out there. All right. Yeah, the Eric, the Get Up and Get Moving committee meetings are held from 6 to 7 a.m. in the hotel gym. <laughs> Good. Oh, man. Talk about outside of work hours. Oof. Right on. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Clark. Uh, why don't we hand things off to our manager of member engagement, Cindy Hollis. Oops. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I skipped. I skipped over. Cindy, just chill. You're good. You're looking good. You're looking good. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go. Um, and uh, Katie, uh, our host, Bill Reeder, is in Zoom. I believe he may be on a telephone, area code 202. Bill, if you could raise your hand. I muted you. Bill, are you with us? Hold on. Eric is getting a call from Bill. So <laughs> I keep giving him the prompt and it's not apparently going through. Ask him to do a star six on his phone, please. He's in Zoom. He's telling me. Can he do a star six to unmute? He's actually on his computer. Oh, he's on his computer in Zoom. Oh, okay. Alt A. You, you, yeah, have. So look for Bill Reader in the uh, in, in the participants. If, but Bill, if you raise your hand, which he is all oh, why. <laughs> His hand is now raised. His hand is up. You may have to put both of them up before I'm done. <laughs> okay, I keep giving him the prompt, guys, and it's not going through. I've unmuted. Hey, there you are. We can do this. Welcome, Bill. All right. Hello. 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 All right. Bill, can you hear me? Bill. Hello. Hi, Bill. Can you hear me? Can everybody hear me? Yes. Hello. We can hear you, Bill. Oh, I hear you finally, too. I think we're good. 
Okay. All right. Auspicious beginning from your new consultant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Running around in circles, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Bill was with us two years ago uh, during the leadership conference, the very last time that all of us were together in person and as part of the board workshop, talked with us about development, um, which I think folks found uh, educational and illuminating. Um, and, and what, uh, you know, you've, you've seen his report um, and you heard Dan and I talk about him this morning. And I thought what I'd, I'd do this afternoon is pr let Bill for maybe 10 minutes or so talk through uh, some, uh, some of what he's looking to do with staff, what he's looking to do with the board. Uh, really from now until the end of the year to help us, uh, you know, continue to evolve our, our fundraising and development uh, function. So with that, Bill, it's great to have you here and uh, welcome. Bill, can you hear me? Bill, it's okay for to do your thing now. All right. Well, um, Cindy, why don't we uh, why don't we kick it to you for your report and uh, Q and A? All right, thank you very much. I did submit a report to the board. Does anyone have any questions? Uh, a few highlights that I would like to share. Uh, we have 12 hosts, the majority of whom have never worked conventions before, hosting this convention, who put a lot of time in to learn how to do what they need to do and to do a good job. We've been holding host check-ins on a regular basis every month <clears throat> since January. And at those host check-ins, we typically have over 50 hosts attend. And they only are required to attend one out of three each quarter, one each quarter. Many of them attend every month um, because they say they get so much out of it and it's a lot of interaction with each other. We do a quarterly facilitators check-in that now uh, Colby oversees as well. And then as you heard earlier, our community support committee is doing a quarterly town hall meeting. <clears throat> These are just some ways that we are trying to work with uh, people that are heavily involved in community activities. Um, and, I, and I just wanted to, that noise is really weird. I, <laughs> sorry. 
Okay. So anyway, if I was at home, I'd be wondering if that was just me, but it's all of us. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, let's see. And then um, I just want to say that uh, engagement has always been extremely important to me right from the start. Uh, many of you will remember it was that leadership meeting uh, in board meeting in 2020 that I introduced the President's Hump Day Happy Hour. That was even pre-community uh, because that hadn't even been thought of. And um, it is still happening. And we are really just trying to find a, our way to making it even better. And so uh, we'll continue to work with the presidents on that. And we have been averaging four, more than 400 calls or events every month since January. As of uh, the end of May, we were averaging 412 events a month. And today, June, as of June 30th, so as of yesterday, we held 8,957 events since we started in March of 2020. So... <clears throat> And we continue to bring in uh, new people wanting to hold events. And it's just really exciting to see how it's growing. And it, so it's no wonder that there are growing pains <laughs> because, uh, you know, we, we really are growing. A, a year ago, 300 or 400 was once last year. Um, and we were doing around 300 calls. Now we're doing over 400 a month. So uh, I don't know what that math is, but it's like, is that a 25% increase? Some, something like that. Anyway, and then I just wanted to mention that we are looking to do more uh, work with Zoom and Clubhouse together because we recognize that we can bring in and reach new people that we would not know otherwise who can learn about ACB. And every morning since March of last year, we have been doing ACB Presents the Daily Schedule. In October, we added Zoom to the mix. So now we do a collaborative event every morning. We used to have 30 in that call when it was just Clubhouse, and that was a good call. We added Zoom, and we were kind of sticking around 50. But recently... If we get in the 60s, that's low. So we typically every morning have over 70 people join us in the morning just to learn what we're going to do for the day in the community and to share. They all get a chance to say hi, so they like that too. Um, but we hope to bring more of those collaborative events. And I look forward to working and collaborating with all of our um, steering committees in whatever way, get up and get moving or uh, fundraising. Uh, that's, you know, that's what it's all about. So let's just do it. Any questions for me? No. Nope. All right. Hopefully Bill will be able to unmute. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to go meet Colby. All right. <laughs> that's where I'm going right now. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. Yeah, thanks. All right, let's uh, let's try Bill Reader again. 
I have given you permission to talk, Bill. Can you click on, can you do Alt-A on you? Are you on, on a regular hand, computer? Alt-A, try maybe? He's a sighted guy. He should be able to, it's one of those sighted people. I even tried to promote him to a panelist, and it wouldn't do that either. So. This is bizarre. I've spoken with Bill on Zoom several times. <laughs> All right. Tell you what we'll do. Why don't we move to Nancy and the Chief Financial Officer's report? Oh. Well, I don't want to. Then oh. <laughs> if I would have looked right, I would have noticed it's off. So I think um, in the last time that we met, um, there were some changes in the Minneapolis office. So Erica Keller had taken a position outside of the company, and we were very happy to have Julie Fisher start at the beginning of March as our HR person. Um, she has been very, this is a very busy year, time of the year to be starting in our office because we were just starting to ramp up on convention. So she has been busy taking care of the HR duties and trying to understand the convention registration process and helping with registration issues. So she's been um, learning very quickly. And if you guys are going into registration, go, in, go over there and say hi to her. I think she's getting acclimated to everybody at ACB. It does take a while, you guys. I'm just saying. Um, the other person that was new to our office in March was Chris Sawyer. And he is the thrift store general manager. He is taking care of the day-to-day -day operations of the thrift stores. He's been ensuring that the processes that we have in place are followed. He's starting new strategy, strategies to bring customers in the store. He's What he is currently doing is he's starting to have auctions that start beginning a week, I think, is or midweek, and the auction ends on Sunday, and you have to be in the store to win the item. So he's trying to draw customers into the store. And then the other thing he's trying to do is once he gets them in the, into the store is to try to get them to spend a little bit more money by suggesting merchandise or seeing if there's something that we have in the store that they need. Um, we are starting to see success in our sales in one of the stores, and we are moving in the right direction in the other stores. If you are calling into our office, even though Chris is our thrift store general manager, if you make a donation, Chris helps out with that. So that's other duties as assigned. Another task was moving our registration process that we had from virtual to a hybrid convention. So I know that there has been, there was challenges when we went from in-person to virtual. Then we had to do, redo some programming to get it from virtual to hybrid. I'm hoping that it's turning out okay for everybody this week. If you have any um, suggestions or anything, just let us know. We'll see what we can do for next year. And then another thing that we are doing behind the scenes is that we have started this year is with the media database. Deb goes, yeah, because in the past, when we went virtual, Deb was our lady and she was sending out Zoom links to everybody, participation links, and people would forget their links and she'd have to resend their links. And it was very time consuming for her. So we created a media database that has all the sessions in it. 
people that are presenters with the contacts, the phone numbers. And I do believe that it has made it a little bit easier for Deb this year. Here, just give me a second. I'll let Deb talk. I was the middleman on this. Deb was the main main man. So as Nancy said, and I should have really said when I talked about the convention this morning, this has made a huge difference. And I really, really appreciate Nancy and especially Lane Waters for his work on this because he had to learn all of my processes to um, make this work. And he'd say, now, do you do it this way? And I said, are you criticizing it? <laughs> no, I'm just asking. <laughs> no, but anyway, it, we have worked well together and it's been really wonderful. What, what this does, what it, this year, it definitely made it easier than last year, especially to retrieve what you lose or, or perhaps didn't get because we know the mail doesn't always help us much. Um, so it made it a lot easier to do that. It made it a lot easier for me to send more things directly from Zoom than by hand. And next year, when everybody that we have about a 80% reuse of people from year to year in our conventions. Um, so that means that the I had to enter everyone in this year. I saved everything I had from last year, so that helped. But I had to enter it all in this year, which is what's made it a little bit slow getting everything. So we're still sending things out now. But next year, somebody doesn't have to enter up 70 to 80 percent of that again. And that is what's really going to make this pay off. So I'm really excited that we're doing it. I think this will make the convention a lot easier. So one thing that happened last year is when Janet made a change, she'd tell our office. Then she'd tell Deb, and then she would tell Rick. And so there was a lot of opportunities for misses. And well, yeah, Rick said he's always the last one to find out. Yes. So part of what we're doing on this is with this media database, if we make the change in our office, it automatically get change, gets changed on their information. So it, it should be smoother. Um, I know that this year we got... Deb, so she's mostly happy, but now the next thing is we need to get Rick's group looped in for next year, so we need to do some updates for him. So, oh, so Rick says he was happy with um, the use that he got out of it this year, but I sh I'm sure there's opportunities for next year. So, but much, much better than we've had in the past. Um, the other thing is every year in about March, April time, we had our annual audit. And once again, ACB received a clean audit, which is the best opinion that you can receive on an audit. So it went fairly smoothly this year. We had actually no problems at all. It was the quickest we've had ever had an audit. Do you want, do you want to talk, Rick? You are very right. You know, we make it look like it's very easy to get the audit done, but there is two months worth of paperwork. So if somebody's made a donation and our auditors want to review that donation to make sure it's not something we made up, we have to go back and get all the paperwork for them. We have to make sure that everything that we have in our database matches what is in our general ledger. And everything has to be ticked all the way down the line. So there's probably about three, four steps that we have to make sure that we're following. Yes. Okay. 
No, I, you know, I've been around audits for a long time. And, I, you know, it was unheard of in all the businesses that I've been involved with to ever have a quote unquote clean audit. There was always some, some things that were cited in the audit report. I just, Nancy, I congratulate you and commend you for the job you're doing because this has been not the first time either, right? I mean, you've had, you've had several of these. So I, I think everybody needs to really recognize that that is huge. Absolutely huge. And two, what a lot of you may not know is, is we meet with them. The finance committee does, but they also contact different members of the board each year. And they've also led us in ways to where we change how we uh, relate budget items, uh, how we report income, such as the PPP loan and the uh, tax uh, deferment or refer uh, the loan to anyway we got for the taxes. It's in the report. But uh, they, these are a great group of people I, I've talked with Nancy, and uh, we really believe we need to stay with them a while. We're, we're happy with them. I know in the past, uh, every few years, we'd, we'd want to change. But I'm going to be honest with you folks, it would not be in our best interest to change at this point because they, they really are doing a great job in keeping us on track and, you know, having a clean audit. Is it's just so exciting. You just, uh, from a business perspective, you just can't imagine how great a feeling it is as your treasurer. And I know it is for Nancy as CFO for us to have a clean audit. Any questions at all? Just wait one second here. Ready, Eric? Oh, yeah. Precious <laughs> cargo. Sorry about that, guys. My, my kids are leaving. I'm going to see them uh, in a week. So, bye. See you later. All right. Uh, let's try this again with Bill. He's now on a phone, Katie, area code 202. Ending in 851? Yes. Okay. Bill, if you would please do star six. Bill? He definitely has the prompt to talk. I'm not sure why it's not going through. Katie, this is Tony. You're pushing, you're giving me the permission to unmute instead of him. I'm sorry, Tony. It's showing on my screen, area code 202. Oh, no, I'm on a cell phone. Bill, would you please raise your hand, sir? Star nine.
Okay. Try it again, please. I think Zoom is being mean to me today. Okay, Eric, I'm sorry. I can't get him to come through. Katie, can you search for the last part of his phone number and make sure he's actually highlighted? Because I had trouble this morning with Zoom not highlighting the right person as well. So um, if you haven't done that yet, could you just try searching for his 851 and see if it forces Zoom to highlight him? Because it was high, it was giving me the wrong people this morning during the roll call. It was really annoying. Okay, I've done it, and I've I'm, I've given him permission to talk. Okay. So, so Bill, if you'll you try. Oh, I think we've got uh, it. Hello. All righty. Uh, oh, yay! Hey, here we hey. go. I have a feeling this is going to be just like fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of false starts, but by what they said was. A string of disappointments and a seeming surprise. <laughs> Here we go. Well, look, everyone, thank you for uh, bringing me on board. I, I told Eric when I was in his position and reached out for a consultant, uh, I said, I don't really want consultants. What I want is a resultant, somebody that will help me get over the finish line. So hopefully uh, with our work together, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get this, we'll get this fundraising task up and running and, and very successfully. Um, you know, just in general, in spite of the pandemic and in spite of, uh, all of the economic challenges, philanthropy is growing, uh, it continues to grow in America. So, you know, there's, there's, there's opportunity, uh, for all of us out there. Um, you know, I'm one of those weird people that actually likes fundraising. I think, most people get nervous, but at the end of the day, we're, we're asking people to uh, invest in our mission, in our work, and I, I guarantee you there are just all kinds of co companies and foundations and individuals that will already have been attracted and, and will be in the future. Um, in, uh, with Tony's departure, uh, have been working with Eric and Dan, as they've shared with you, to build a comprehensive roadmap for the next uh, six months and beyond, honestly. Um, we're soon will be uh, recruiting a, a, a professional development director. But uh, one of the things that I've uh, encountered in working with everyone is how much very serious fundraising skill already exists at the staff level. Uh, Joe Lynn, of course, as a grants writer, um, Clark and his corporate relationships. Cindy, your work with individuals is exemplary. Um, uh, you know, and, and so we, we really, I think, one of our strategies is to how do we leverage these very, very successful uh, initiatives that are already uh, taking place? Um, I think, you know, there's an old adage, good fundraisers raise a lot of money. And great fundraisers get other people to help them raise a lot of money. So 
we're going to go from good to great. And that, that's where the board comes in. Um, you know, the, the big thing is what I call prospect development. Uh, what, what studies show is that if you have 100 key people, I call them the magic 100, um, then your, your enterprise will flourish. And so we have a method that we're going to use to identify and ultimately link and, and recruit that magic 100. And that's where uh, our volunteer community and the board come in and are so indispensable. You help us identify people, uh, link them, develop interest. Uh, and that, that word is so important, that word prospect. It means that we've identified a resource that can help us with our budget needs. We've linked them to our work and we've developed their interest. Um, you know, what's interesting uh, for ACB, I think most of your fundraising has come in larger grants from corporations and foundations, and that's good, but that's unusual. For most organizations, the most funding comes from individuals. And I know you have a, a rich history with many, many individuals at uh, serious big giving and also uh, annual giving. So, uh, but I think we, we, we want to look there first for what I'm calling transformational giving uh, there and in certain foundations. Uh, as I've gotten to know ACB, um, I, I, you may not know about my past, but at one point I was the head of corporate giving for the Sally May Corporation. And we made very large uh, gifts. We built several very big foundations. And so I've had quite a bit of experience evaluating uh, gifts, gift requests. And ACB checks all the boxes. Literally everything that a serious funder would expect to find before making a transformational gift is to be completely candid with you, it's, com it's absolutely in place. Um, and not the least of which is the massive and impactful volunteerism, which is of course the founding taproot of ACB. And, and when, when your transformational donors like the Ford Foundation or you know, J&J, &J, people you've already got a relationship with, first thing they ask is, well, what's the involvement of your volunteer community? And when you look at that from an ACB standpoint, it's, it's best of class. It just simply is best of class. You know, in all the discussions that, that people have about improvement, uh, that's another sign of being best in class. So, you know, over the next few months, uh, we've already started serious uh, data collection. Fortunately, again, all of the important information is readily available, uh, gives us a background. Now we're going to look at the budget uh, near term and then out several years to be sure that our fundraising goals are, are anchored in our budget and our strategic plan. We'll look very carefully at each program to be sure we've optimized uh, the, the support uh, for, the, for the important work. Um, and then we'll start engaging uh, the various stakeholder communities to help us identify and cultivate uh, potential prospects. And, uh, you know, with, uh, with your kind permission and Dan's guidance and, and you know, a bit of patience, uh, hopefully we can find a way to get everybody's fingerprints on this journey 
because one, one thing I've learned for sure is that all of us are smarter than one of us. And my wife says, especially, Bill, if you're the one we're talking about. So we definitely want to, um, want to get, get the, the whole community involved in this work. Um, the, the report that I uh, gave uh, is a bit more layered and more uh, granular. And I would really welcome any uh, opportunity to talk with anyone on the board or uh, people about uh, your thinking or your recommendations, uh, your advice. So my door's open and my phone's on. I don't know what's wrong with Zoom today, but one way or another, we'll, we'll make sure we stay connected. So uh, with that, if anyone has any questions, uh, happy to happy to answer. Are you guys still there? Yes. Hello. Going to run a mic. Hold on. Yeah. Oh, good. I was suddenly afraid I had just talked into the air and <laughs> was just No, no, you're good. So I'm Jeff Tom, and I was not here when you. I missed the the part of the meeting when you first came, but heard a lot of, you know, wonderful things. I guess my question, just as sort of a general thought is, does the, you know, departure of um, staff and the need to sort of lay in a new fundraising um, effort, you know, protocol and process and, and roadmap, does it require any rethinking of our, strategic goals at all from your perspective? I mean, not today, but I mean, will it require, I guess I should say. Uh, yes. Over time, yes. Uh, look, uh, I, my beyond fundraising, you know, I, I do quite a bit of board development and, and nonprofit consulting and training. And ACB is at a juncture. You've, you've grown yourself to the next strategic juncture. And so you don't, and again, real strategic planning, you know, needs to be planned really carefully way, way in advance. And so there's, there's no rush to it, but, um, but at the end of the day, fundraising really is the actualization of strategic planning and the, the top fundraising pros out there uh, do strategic planning as their fundraising plan. So there's a, there's a, a real two sides of the same coin between fundraising and strategic planning. Thank you. Hi, Bill. Thank you very much for all of your work. My name is Chris Bell, and uh, I have maybe sort of an off-the-wall question. Um, I am aware of of some of a, a particular nonprofit in uh, Minnesota called Vision Lost Resources. It was created by the combination of the St. Paul Society for the Blind and the Minneapolis Society for the Blind. And somehow they uh, set up a business and they do uh, packaging and mailing for 3M and similar companies in the uh, Twin Cities area. So I guess my question is, is there any uh, logical link between fundraising and trying to get corporate help so that ACB at some point might have a, a larger for-profit business that could help fund its activities? The answer is sort of. Um, 
I'm, I just cycled off of the board. I, I, I've been on the board of the Didlake Corporation here in Virginia, which is the nation's largest employer of people with, with disabilities. And their entire enterprise is funded by uh, really for-profit or government contract work. Uh, it's, it's, it's a different business. And I have personally tried to build for-profits in the nonprofits that I have worked for. And to be candid with you, I've never been successful. Mostly it's because I think the skills of running a business are uh, unique and not the same ones, although some are, as in fundraising, in philanthropy. And it was just interesting. I, I found about, and even when I was in the role of corporate giving, I discovered that I was a better beggar than I was a giver. I, I just was better at asking people for their support uh, than I was at giving it away. And I was better at asking people for their support than I was at earning it outright. So um, they are both tools in the toolkit for sure. And it could be that the strategic work going forward would want to look at that subject. I remember in a meeting recently, someone mentioned uh, the uh, car donations. And, um, you know, they make sense, but at what point, you know, does that become a, a used car dealership? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. But, uh, but I do think that they they are they share some similarities but they do have some distinct uh differences that that have to be successfully uh established Dan this is Doug can I uh have the floor for a second Yes um so Bill uh I looked at the income statement to to uh, April 30th, and as a board member, uh, I'm a little concerned about the revenue side. Um, it's behind what was projected in the budget, and I'm wondering. And I understand that you know, with Tony leaving and all that good stuff, um, it's uh, it's understandable. But from a, a a board member standpoint, my question to you is: Do you think that we can make it up uh, by the end of the year? You know, I don't really know. Uh, I think we need to do an all-hands-on-deck to fulfill each of the relationships and prospects that are in there. Um, I have not had that specific conversation yet, but uh, we certainly aren't going to avoid it. So, fingers crossed. And you've still got six, six months left. Part of the Part of the problem of losing, having staff turnover is that sometimes, especially your corporate donors or your foundation donors, are uh, they're also on a on a calendar, on a budget. And if you know if we didn't get our request in in their budget cycle, then we have to wait a year. So I I haven't looked at at uh, which of those are so. Um, that's why I think over time we want to begin to orient around individual giving because. There's a lot more flexibility, and individual giving tends to support the organization, whereas foundations and corporations tend to support activities and programs. 
So it's it's a mix and a blend, and I've certainly had that same uh, fingernail biting journey, you know, from now to the end of the year. So I wish there was a light switch and I could say, oh, here it is. Just go turn it on. It'll all work out. We're going to have to work at it pretty diligently. Uh, Michael, we no. All right. Anybody else in Zoom with a question for Bill? We do have a hand up in Zoom, but it's not a board rep. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, Bill, thank you so much for taking uh, time out of your Friday afternoon to be with us. I'm glad we were able to get you <laughs> technologically linked up. Uh, I <clears throat> I I know that I really appreciate working with you. I've learned an immense amount uh, and look forward to, to working with you and uh, members of the team, as well as the board here in the coming months. Well, I do too. And, uh, and thanks for giving me the opportunity. It's very meaningful. Absolutely. Have a great holiday weekend. Alrighty. Bye everybody. All right. Mr. President, back to you. Thank you, Eric. All right. Do I have a motion to approve the staff reports? Ray Campbell moves. Jeff Tom seconds. Any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All right, folks. Are we? Uh, David mentioned something about uh, a break. Are you? Is everybody comfortable to keep going a little while longer? break on your own okay because we got a lot to cover here and we're burning daylight as they like to say in this part of the country all right so we'll now move on to you david uh item number 11 <laughs> which is the 2022 year-to-date financial narrative from uh david trot our acb treasurer so david okay first of all this is not going to be in your report but there's a couple of things i'd like to point out to you First of all, the first part of the year had nothing to do with Tony leaving. Uh, first part of the year was normal in that uh, less less of our income comes in during the first three months, four months of the year. So you've always got to bear that in mind. Having said that, the numbers are as ugly as they are. We, we can't change that, and, and we're working to move forward. So at this time, I will begin to read this and – if you can't hear the, me through the mic, just say so, because I've got to have the paper up here in front of my nose. <laughs> okay, ACB Treasurer's Report, um, financial statement through April. Uh, revenue was $515,161 of a budgeted of $578,540. Expenses were $664,240. And we budgeted $725,679. ACB's net operating loss of $149,079. Budgeted was $147,139. ACBES net contribution 
was $166,469. Budgeted was $86,221. Convention profit was $103,888 of a budget of $139,554. Unrealized investment loss, $597,713. I'm going to stop right here for just a minute and carry you back a couple of years. I want to say it was the very beginning. No, it wasn't. It was the last quarter of 2019. We had a major investment loss. And when January hit, the stock market rebounded. Not only did we recover, we were ahead within three months. I wouldn't necessarily expect that this time, but I've told you this to alleviate some of the fear. This, this is not really um, a loss unless we choose to start taking money. We, we have a good, strong investment team, and we have a good, strong investment policy. So uh, I'll go back now if I can find my place. I just wanted to be sure that you did understand this is not new for us. It's happened before. And right there, I'm, I'm hunting 500,000. <laughs> yeah, you were at 597,000 loss, I think, David. Yeah. We all heard that one. Thank, thank you, Dan. I appreciate <laughs> you. <laughs> to, total actual deficit is $471,435. I'm a total budgeted surplus of $78,640. Revenue unrestricted contributions were 83,000 with the budget uh, was below the $179,115 budget. Individual and internet donations were $11,000, which were about $6,000 lower than budget. Direct mail was slightly over budget at 5,700. The foundation and trust grants budget was $60,000, but completion of a grant application took longer than anticipated. And actual proceeds were $16,500 in the past two months. Several large grants have been ap applied, I'm sorry, approved, Restricted contributions, actual was $89,800, and the budget was $16,000. ACB received $8,400 for the Ukraine disaster relief, and this will be sent on to the World Blind Union. Scholarship funds received was $34,700 on a budget of $45,000. This was higher because the funds were received earlier this year than in previous years. ACB grants received was $3,000. This was from the University of Hawaii, with which provided two smaller grants where Members of our community reviewed 
the audio description of parks. Program revenue was $41,642 compared to a budget of $53,825. This revenue was associated with the DC Leadership Conference was $23,900, which was $7,100 below budget. We've only got 40 more pages, just stick with me. <laughs> the ADP Virtual Institute revenue was $17,550 on a budget of $22,800. There were 39 individuals who attended trainings. Revenue for the fundraising activities was $10,100. The budget was 60,000. The Cavallino funds were received later than anticipated, but it was at the budgeted amount. Walk sponsors, actual was $5,000, but was budgeted for $30,000. The second PPF loan of $162,160 was forgiven in February, so the revenue was recognized this year and the loan was removed from the balance sheet. The expenses, wages and benefits, $312,373. This was about $39,000 less than budget because there were open positions. Occupancy and office expenses, was $84,746, which was on budget. Professional services were $108,400. This was 100, I'm, I'm sorry, this was $11,000 below budget. And the decrease in this area was associated with the decreased usage of data on the server and from investment management fees being less than anticipated. The audio description group was $15,100. The budget was $8,200. ACB and the University of Hawaii received funding for audio Nancy, why did you stick these pages together? <laughs> I got two. I glued it. I believe it. Super <laughs> uh, Must be nice to have nails. <laughs> um, decreasing a variety of national parks. I'm sorry. Describing a variety of national parks over the last several years. Reviewing these parks led to an increase in expenses and most of the revenue will be completed by the end of May. Travel and meeting expenses were $26,100, and this was about 19,000 below budget. The estimated cost for the hybrid DC leadership conference was less than anticipated, and strategic planning 
expenses were booked later than anticipated. ACB's thrift stores uh, contribution was $166,400, which was about $80,000 above budget. The second PPF loan was forgiven earlier this year. The revenue was recognized and the loan was removed from the balance sheet. Oh, convention profit was $103,900 since much of the revenue is received before the convention and the expenses aren't booked until after the convention. The profit in April is indicative of what the final convention profit will be. Unrealized losses were $592,713. ACB's investments value today is about $4.6 million. ACB's risk is balanced in a balanced portfolio. So while our investments have lost this year, they aren't affected as much as the portfolios in, that are more aggressive. ACB's 2021 audit was complete in April. And once again, ACB received a clean audit, which is the best opinion that can be given. And with that, that's page 463. I think I'm done. Um, we, we really, really aren't looking as bad as we think. When, when you look at unrealized gains or losses, uh, they're on paper. The only the only way they would affect us in a, in a real negative way is if we had to pull money. And right now, with convention income and all, we we're in pretty good shape. But um, the the uh, the things that are down, a lot are member controlled and they can't be helped. Uh, if you look at the Braille form raffle right now, it's down from last year. Uh, I'm not going to get into the auction. They'll talk to you about that later this week. Uh, the walk, you can see on the walk page how it's doing. But uh, MMS is, is holding strong. You'll have the opportunity here this week. Uh, but do the, you know, we realize that everybody's struggling right now. So do the best you can at helping with the fundraisers uh, because they are off this year. We knew they would be when we came back into a hybrid rather than, um, you know, a, a virtual convention because people are going to, have to spend the money to come and, Unfortunately, this year it was a lot of money. So uh, if you have any questions, I'll be glad to answer them. Uh, if I can't, uh, I'll help the one with the brains over here uh, answer them for you. But David, if I, if I understand, if you took away the, the investment loss, we would actually be in a positive position through April. I mean, we were positive without the loss of the um, from yeah, which is actually a good thing because yeah. we're normally not. Yeah, we normally we normally are down this time of year and we're actually positive. I know the PP money, PPP money helped us, but yeah, we're in a positive situation, except for our investments, which we don't have control over the market. But we all know in the long term the market goes up, not down. 
Yes. Okay. Any questions uh, from Dave's uh, David's financial narrative? All right. And by the way, you have your complete figures in your Dropbox files. So, you know, feel free if you have any questions on them, give me a call. Don't bother Nancy unless you have to. She's busy. (laughs) Thank you, Dave. All right. Do I have a motion to approve the treasurer's report? Uh, Donna makes a motion. Second, Chris. Any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? All right, thank you. Now, item 12, uh, I want to uh, turn this over. We're going to review and approval of the code of conduct process procedure. Uh, We put uh, from our special board meeting in May, put an ad hoc team together that consisted of Patrick Sheehan, David Trott, Jeff Tom, uh, Julie, and uh, Mary Lee uh, from our, our HR Oh, should I say, can I say that all here? Yeah, Rosalie, not merrily, Rosalie. Yes. Uh, Julie Fisher, our HR specialist, and Rose, Rosalie McNamara from uh, Lathrop. Uh, and so that committee has met uh, several times. And I'd now like to turn it over to Patrick Sheehan, uh, who kind of helped lead those efforts along with David Trott and Jeff Tom. So, Patrick, we'll get you a mic here. David's gonna, yeah, yeah, gonna, yeah, you go. I got you. Thank you, Mike. And uh, if we can get a mic over to uh, David and that good, okay, great, they can correct me. Okay, um, I want to start this discussion. I think the board is pretty much aware we had the meeting in May. We all know, uh, we what we wanted to try to do <clears throat> and was to fix or enhance the process document. Uh, David had brought up a good point. Uh, We couldn't change the code of conduct policy that is on the web because we had individuals that were already signing that policy because they were getting ready for convention. So they had to approve that. So what what we decided that we wanted to do was to fix the process document. The process document was put together uh, back in 2018 to deal with uh, convention type issues when we were in in a physical setup like this, as we are in Omaha. It didn't deal with the kinds of issues that we ran across, particularly in the virtual environment. So we met as a team. Uh, Also, Nancy Marks Becker was a great help on this team too. Thank you, Nancy. And we came up with a series of four or five recommendations. And I think that those recommendations, we we can walk through them. I want to let Jeff and and David speak a little bit before I go on uh, about their impressions of what we did and and what they felt with the significant issues that we covered. Um, But I think the uh, several of the larger recommendations that we made was to recommend that we put together, uh, I, I don't know if we're calling it a grievance committee or whatever, Dan, we haven't got a name for it, code of conduct committee, take it away, take it out of the hands of the board, uh, out out of the officers and the board of directors, set up a separate committee uh, that Dan would appoint where you would have um, a code of conduct panel and then uh, of three people and four other people that would be individuals that would work to do conflict resolution. 
that would allow the uh, officers to do what officers need to do. It would also free it up so that the board of directors would not be directly involved. But of course, if and as we go through this, we'll talk about the appeal process. The appeal process could go back through the board of directors uh, in, in case uh, a complainant uh, was not happy with the decision that the panel had put out. Uh, Jeff and David, your thoughts on where we are, what we were trying to do before we go into more specifics. So first thing I want to say is that this committee had, um, between the five of us and Nancy, some incredibly um, constructive and interactive uh, dialogue in our sessions. We were constantly working toward the fairest, um, most equitable process that we could um, come up with. And I think and I hope that uh, you will agree that we have made some improvements. And um, I think the first major thing we did is to try to put into place the conflict resolution component so that um, when the parties feel that there is a way through a, a potential code of conduct violation, they don't necessarily have to have an adversarial um, uh, type of, of, of uh, I'm trying to think, procedure that they can come together to try and amicably work out some of these violations and avoid some of the stress and anxiety that is created, no matter who wins or loses these things. And I think that's perhaps the, the major um, component, but also we've tried to make it a, a very fair process, uh, one that enhances the communication to all parties and one that I think in the long run will serve us much better, no matter what the type of conduct being alleged might be. So I'll, with that, I'll turn it over to, to uh, David. First of all, you know, I'm always looking at employees, right? And I've got to tell you, in our typical ACB way, we indoctrinated Julie Fisher, our new HR person, we brought her right into a code of conduct that she hadn't even been there a week. I don't think, uh, she, she is really extremely good. She was extremely organized and she helped us begin this process as we looked at it. And Dan and I had talked about this before we got started. We, what we're hoping this process would do is take some of the hurt out of these complaints. Uh, we, we found that, that, you know, the way we have to do it right now is once it's fouled, it's fouled. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't withdraw. Nobody can withdraw it, but the, but the fowler and, uh, they're very hurtful, but the, but the fowler and, uh, they're very hurtful. Uh, they're, they're very disruptive to people's lives, but you're thinking, oh yeah, the complainants hurt the, the defendant or whatever you want to call it. Uh, is hurt. Uh, you, you need to think about the people on this committee as well. Uh, you know, they're hurting because there's their hands are tied. Um, what we've come up with, I think, uh, this was born out of notes taken by Julie's predecessor and Julie put those together for us. And, uh, into the first, the way we did 
business in the code of conduct. And now we've took this process further. Uh, Rosa Lee did a great job of helping us. Uh, she didn't always make any of us happy, especially me on this confidentiality thing, but, uh, she, she was a lot of help. And, uh, of course, Julie was, she's just, uh, aces, man. She, she put our policies on paper and everything for us. And, uh, her and Patrick and Jeff kept adding to it and I just kept ignoring them. Um, but really, uh, I think what you're going, what you've seen is, is you've read over it is a good policy that can even be made better over time. But I think it's a good starting place, and I think it's a way we need to move forward. So thank you, David and Jeff. Correct me when I misspeak going through this a little bit. You're wrong. All right. <laughs> I'm wrong. Yeah. Got it. Um, so the, 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 the work or the, the flow of how we're going to work here is the, any complaint that comes through, uh, if it comes to Eric, if it comes to Dan, um, one of the officers, any complaints will go directly to the HR specialist. Uh, HR specialist will record it, uh, and then that will go to the code of conduct panel, who will do a triage on that to ensure that the uh, complaint is, um, let's say, legitimate. <clears throat> if it is a serious complaint, uh, I mean, they're all serious, but if it is a legal complaint, an assault, uh, or, or something serious like that, uh, that complaint will automatically either go to security or to the police for them to investigate. Otherwise, the uh, the, um, uh, the the code of conduct panel uh, would accept it, and then uh, HR specialists will immediately notify the um, shall we call it the uh, um, claimant, and I think we. Agreed, Jeff, we call the other person the respondent. Um, and they would be notified that there is a complaint. One of the things that we also agreed on is that we would try to ensure that all complaints are completed within 30 days. So we know that we have a better time frame here than I think that we went through with several of them in the past. Uh, and of course, if, if that time frame is exceeded, uh, we would, you know, because of whatever's life happens kind of things, um, we would let the individuals know and, uh, we could extend that. And I think probably the board would also know on something like that. We would extend that for another 30 days. Um, once. Our music's kind of easing the process for you. Uh, yeah. There you go. Should I continue? Are we good? Oh, hi. It's nice being hard of hearing. I can't hear it. <clears throat> All right. Should I continue? Uh, are we are we good on Zoom? 
Well, was was there anything significant that was said that we need to hear uh, on, in the byplay? Yeah, we're just trying to get the music turned off, I think. Great, thanks. Everything's good on Zoom. We good? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, sound, it does sound like music's coming through a speaker somewhere. Okay. So, okay. So once, once the complainant, are we good? Once the complainant is, um, is notified and the respondent is notified, um, the, uh, the <clears throat> and the, uh, issue has been My mic went, oh, okay, it's back, okay. Um, the default position for the, uh, for the issue in question will be to, to go to conflict resolution um, if both the accused uh, and uh, the, the claimant and respondent agree to um, uh, conflict. Why am I losing my mic? Are we good? Yeah. My mic, yeah, my mic, my mic's back. Oh, great. We hear you fine okay. on Zoom. I'll talk fast. Um, so the default position is going to go to conflict, is going to be um, conflict resolution, um, provided the, um, the complainant and respondent agree. It will go to conflict resolution, and then in conflict resolution, we'll get both parties on the phone. Make sure that the individuals um, uh, are are you know, get a chance to speak to each other. <clears throat> if that works, uh, then that resolution is going to be written up, and uh, the the complaint basically will be resolved. If either if conflict resolution does not work, <clears throat> or um, one of the parties does not want to go to conflict resolution, um, then it will go to the code of conduct panel. Uh, and that is a more formal process uh, in which you'll have the witnesses um, uh, um, interviewed and uh, there'll be a, a hearing uh, very much like we, we have done in the past. Uh, the individuals who are going to be interviewed, uh, the, the uh, claimant and the re respondent, will be allowed to have an individual sit with them. That was a request that was made. Um, although that individual will not be allowed to testify on their behalf. Um, and at any point um, while the uh, people are being interviewed, if they have a problem with or they would like to take a break, uh, we can, um, the, the, um, the recording can be stopped at any time so that, um, and, and, an individual can take a break and not go through, you know, diff difficult situations. Um, the um, findings will be written up and communicated to both the uh, uh, claimant and the respondent from the code of conduct panel. 
they'll also be written up from the um, conflict resolution panel. Uh, and these results will be um, will be kept uh, for a certain period of time. I think we still need to discuss that at, at, at some point, how long they will be kept. Uh, if there is an appeals process, let's say uh, one of the two parties does not agree with the issue, uh, the appeal process will be sent back to the uh, board of directors. The president will name a three-party uh, panel from the board of directors who will then listen to the case and make a decision based on that case. Those are the main elements that I brought up or that were brought up in the May meeting. So I think we've really covered most of those issues. Um, we've got a, a timetable. We have a we have a conflict resolution process. We have a priority uh, a, a process document that will be communicated uh, to folks. Dan, I would like to see this process document uh, also put on the web once this board approves it. Um, what else? We have an appeals process that has been determined. And we've also taken the initial process for the code of conduct out of the hands of the um, officers uh, and um, thereby not tying them up and putting it into the into the uh, uh, um, hands of a grievance panel. Jeff, David, what did I forget? I think there might be one or two other things that we need to talk about. I really think this point. Um, you know, we, we sent it out. Everybody's had the opportunity to read it. I think you've covered the, the process, you know, pretty well. Okay. And, you know, it, uh, we, we need just, uh, to approve it and move forward. I think. Do you have a comment, Connie? I do have a hand up over here. Okay. Uh, why don't, can I pass this over to Connie first and then we'll take the other one. That's fine. Yeah. I I would like to, not really part of this, but as maybe an amendment, or not an appendix, maybe attachment, that whoever the panel is, um, they come up with a process or a document with their guidelines and their process. And this isn't wouldn't be um, for everyone. This would be just for the panel. So it would be um, they would have their their knowledge or their process of what each, what their duties are. And I think that would be really important. I, I've talked to Patrick with that and he agreed that I think that's just a good thing. That way it gives the panel an idea of what they can do and what they can't do um, when that gets done. So that was one of my concerns um, or comments. So I, I just think that's a good thing. Um, and I think that, if it doesn't go, if it goes past the 30 days, like Patrick talked about, um, make sure that all parties are okay with that and have everyone involved. And it does go, I think it does have to go back to the board. So the board knows why it's going to go longer than 30 days. But I think that's a, that's a huge thing is a communication. Um, and then with recordings, I think, you know, I, I like it that you can take out testimony or you can stop the recording. But I think that 
the complainant and the respondent or whoever, however you want to say it, the um, defendant is, I think they should have a right to their recordings. Um, I know you're going to get a report of what is done, but I think we should have, they should have a right to their recordings. And then I think they should be the, the ones that have to be done with law enforcement um, that are sent out. I think those are kept indefinite as long as we need to, um, because they will be legal and the um, you know law will have them. But I think other recordings um, need to go after 90 days. After the appeal um, time limit is done, then I think that needs to go away because it's private and it's not legal stuff. And I understand the concern for the organization, but at the same time, it's not that essential if it's not a, a major legal battle, I would say. So you'll have the summary reports and that can be kept. And that will probably get discussed a little bit um, in one of the other policies that we talk about with the retention. But I think the recordings need to be destroyed after the 90 days after the appeal process. If there is an appeal, then that all needs to be destroyed. So those are just my thoughts and my suggestions. Um, but I think otherwise we've made some good strides. I think when I spoke before, this is what I wanted to get done um, by July 1st. And I think this is what we're accomplishing. It's going to be a working document. So we'll always be updating and working on it. But I think it's a good start. Um, it's not going to be perfect, but I, I like it. So I appreciate the committee, the ones that have worked on it. So that really means a lot. Thank you. Go ahead, David. You're going to respond. Oh, and before David gets on the on the phone, one of the reasons why I I did push for this, I guess I'll take ownership of that. One of the reasons why I did take why I did push this is because I know we're going to have a whole new crew of board members, new people on the on the board, and I felt that it was important that this board at least solve it to the extent possible that it could before we have our elections passing it today at least we have a document that we can put in place to cover this convention and then i'm sure it will be uh tweaked and improved as time goes on and of course uh, and i think we all agree the code of conduct policy that is on the web can always be improved but we couldn't prove that uh, we couldn't improve that now going forward with this convention, you know, as we have it uh, with people signing. Go ahead, David. Okay. I would be opposed to anybody having their, as she calls them, their own recordings. First of all, they're not your own recordings. They're the recordings of the process. But the reason for that is the committee itself is bound by confidentiality. If you give the complainant or the respondent the recordings, they are not bound by confidentiality. So it could be a major disaster to hand those out. Uh, secondly, though, it would also be in conflict with what you want there if we destroyed the ACB copy in 90 days. 
I don't have, or whatever days. I don't have a problem with, with doing away with the ACB copy, but I show have a major problem with handing it out to individuals copies because they're not bound by any confidentiality and that come from our paid legal person. David, can I respond to that? Um, I just, and I agree with that. I understand that. I just think that um, the parties have, should be able to at least hear their, their recordings to make sure um, they're okay with the, their testimony. So if it's, you know, just so they can hear it with the panel available, but I think that they need to be able to hear their recording um, and then not necessarily have the copy, but at least have access some way for, like I say, a few days to hear it, to make sure that the recording's okay, and then they don't have access to it. Okay, so and and David, I think that's going to be a point that we're going that we'll probably have a lot of discussion on, but I certainly don't want to hold up the um, approval of this policy based on a, a disagreement among one or two points. This oh. is Doug. I'd like to get yeah, go few. ahead, Doug. Well, Dan, uh, wait a minute, David. I'm sorry, did I cut you off? Yeah, there's no disagreement, Pat. It's not in the policy, so there's no disagreement to have. Okay. In, in other words, if you want to vote on adding this to the policy, then yeah, there's going to be a disagreement. But right now, as the policy is written, and that's what we're talking about, it's not in the policy to give anybody recordings. But would you be willing to let the defendants or the people listen to their recordings? Funny. So, could you, would you be willing to let the person or the dependents? listen to the recordings for like a day or two and then make me understand why okay wait 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 i'll get dan the microphone we've got lots of hands up a lot of discussion so just i'll just wait i just want to just clarify okay so guys we presented the report uh in the recommendation from the ad hoc committee i think if we want to amend that first let's discuss it and then as part of that if then people want to offer amendments to it they can but you know the committee worked for a number of days here and i it but first i think if we before we go to before we go go to, go to amending it let's make sure everybody understands yeah. and has any questions of what was written down and handed out if, okay. if you're okay with that patrick yeah Dan, and then we can good. go to amend yeah okay. we've got some questions so, so i Connie, think we yours got is a, a good number one. of questions of just what let's, was written and handed out and connie has asked some and those were appropriate and let's see if others have questions okay so now i have chris gray then it's ray campbell okay huh? And Doug, please. Chris Bell. Why, sorry. I, uh, I, 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 all right. Who's going first? That's right. I, I am, I am getting grayer and grayer. So that's all right. Chris, um, are you up next? Yes. So Go I guess ahead, I'm sir. up next. All right. So um, I'm going to split the baby here. I'm going to make a motion that the policy be approved on an interim basis subject to a process whereby the presidents of our state affiliates have an opportunity to review it 
and provide written comments within 30 days and anybody else who wants to provide comments. So it will be, be in effect uh, on an interim basis uh, and then go back to the board on August 31st for finalization. And I'm saying this for several reasons. One, I think Connie's made some good suggestions and I think we can meet the need for having this uh, to be in place on the 1st of July if we follow the procedure that I've suggested with interim approval. So it, it'll, it'll take effect, but we still may want to play with it before it's finalized. Um, secondly, I think that this is an example of a policy which may have significant uh, interest and concern by our affiliates and our members. And I think this is an example of something when I referred earlier this morning to an experiment. I'd like to see this as an experiment where we send this out for comments to the affiliate presidents, uh, not forever, but for 30 days so that uh, the board can act on, at its August 31st uh, meeting uh, date. And I think that would help people feel like they have more input and more control. Uh, and I believe it would be beneficial to the uh, sense of uh, decorum and, uh, and value. So that's my okay. motion. So is there a second to Chris's motion? Okay, Connie seconds it. Um, and wait a minute, David, are you going to speak to it? Okay, go ahead, David. Just one minute. Mr. President, you don't mind if I'm running this, do you? <laughs> oh, thank you, sir. Okay, let me know. Let, let me know when I overstep, would you? <laughs> thank you. You've overstepped. Um, <laughs> thank you, David. My, I'm I'm hoping Chris will take this as a friendly amendment. We we've had legal advice throughout this process. So be after the time limit he's given for a hearing you know, or for additions and all, if any changes are made, I would like them to also be run by our lawyer, uh, Rosalie McNamara. Okay. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris, is that okay? Good. Okay. And Chris, um, I would just make the comment that uh, I didn't think of it doing it the way you suggested, but it was always the intent to take this policy and to, um, uh, to to get it either out in community so that we could have input into the process to make sure that it's going to get better and communicate it out to the affiliates. But the way that you're doing it, you're, um, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, interesting way to do it. It certainly will get the discussion going and it'll provide in the, in the end the same, the same product. So that's fine. Um, this is any other... Are you ready for Campbell? Uh, yeah, let's go. Who else would like to speak to the motion? Doug. Are you you're done? Okay. Kenneth? Yeah, okay. We have a motion on the floor. Ken Kenneth had his hand up. Go Kenneth okay. had his hand up. Kenneth, go ahead. Earlier, I, I just wanted to ask if it can be shared uh as in regard to the two member conflict resolution team. Uh, was could you share the reasoning for two instead of three? So we the we have three panelists, and you had two two conflict resolution teams. Actually, 
you wanted three people on per, per conflict resolution team, that would give you six, nine members as opposed to seven. Just here. Kenneth, right? Yeah, Kenneth, here's, here's my thinking on it anyway. And, and, and two isn't magical, but um, for, for your panel, you need an uneven number so such that, you know, if you, you, you may have a split decision. But for the conflict resolution, all that is is a mediation. Neither party is bound by it. So I think two people is really enough to, on a phone call. to make it work. Right. That's my thinking anyway. And uh, since this is going to may go out, Kenneth, to the um, to the affiliates, we certainly can be overruled. You, what you're saying may be may be the case. They may like three. Yeah, or they may like one. I mean, you know. Right. Okay. Yeah. But we felt though the important thing, Kenneth, was that we default to conflict resolution as opposed to have it go right to the uh, con- uh, code of conduct panel. That's just, I think it's going to alleviate a lot of issues. Okay. Other hands. Patrick, so this Chris, is Doug. Chris has already spoken. Deb hasn't spoken. We have Doug Powell. Who's, oh, and Dan's got his hand up. De- Deb you, Cook-Lewis. Are you first stand before these others? No, no, no. Okay. Deb Cook-Lewis. Okay. So I just had a couple of points of, I guess, interest or clarification. When we're talking about conflict resolution, that's actually a pretty formal process itself. Um, And actually, you know, if you're talking about things like mediation, that's not just. We didn't. We didn't. But you are talking about. about I didn't use that term. A fairly you you keep you have referenced it several times in the conversation. So although it wasn't the term, if Mm -hmm. that's the activity that we're expecting to conduct that's going to have to be professionally conducted and that's a cost. So we've also looking, we're also, I'd like to finish. Go ahead, Deb. We're also, also looking, and I'm not saying that I'm, that I'm not okay with doing something here, but I am concerned that as we figure out what we're doing, we need to figure out whether we have the resources to do it. So and, and if that's the way we want to use those resources. So we're looking at a pretty significant increase in staff time to manage this kind of a process. And have we calculated with, um, with staff, with Eric, um, what that staff impact is? How do you, okay, let me ask a couple of questions just to follow up. How do you, where do you see the staff time? Well, there's a great deal more processing of meetings, of processing of of uh, all of this, and that's going to include staff time. So I, I don't know fully from this but I don't where follow. that is. That's what I'm asking is how right. has that been analyzed? So, yes, I didn't see the grievance panel of either seven or nine individuals mm-hmm. would be appointed by the president from the membership from ACB. Still probably has to be staffed. So so we don't have any staff assigned to that except for Julie. And how much of Julie? So this is what I'm asking. Do we have the resources? Uh, Have we gotten a commitment or a work through with staff around the resource? 
and I don't mean around this with Julie, it's around this with Eric. Right. Uh, have we worked through considering, because I don't have the answer. I, I mean, I'd like to know what the staff impact is expected to be. So we have gotten a commitment from staff because they, of course, were involved in the process. So we got the commitment from staff and HR and our HR attorney. Jeff, go ahead. Um, Hang on, Jeff, before we go forward. The other thing that you brought up, Deb, was the term conflict resolution. Dan, did you have a question concerning that? Someone else, I thought, wanted to respond. Doug. Doug will have uh, Doug was on Zoom, so we'll okay. Him. So, um, Deb, I know that in the past I brought up the term mediation, but that was not a term that that we went forward with. Um, Rosalie was fine with conflict resolution, basically picking up the phone and walking people through a resolution that they would both agree with. You're right. The individuals that are engaged in that need to have training, and there is training out there. What would you call that process where you pick up the phone and talk to people and walk them through the uh, resolution of a conflict? Yeah, we keep thinking we're done and we lose the mics. It's okay. Um, I. You know, I'm not sure. I'm I, but I, I don't know if you're talking about a fairly informal process. I don't know if I call it conflict resolution. Uh, okay, so what would you call it? I'm not sure. I wasn't working on the committee, and I haven't really been thinking about it, Patrick. Oh, but I will okay. tell you that I, I think when I think of conflict resolution in that context, mm-hmm. I think of a lot more formal process. So, okay. um, you know, I, I. It's probably th- yeah, a little I bit think, different language. That would be all I would say. Okay. I, I think what we envisioned, at least initially, mm-hmm. is a less formal process. Yeah, that, right and, that, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So maybe it should be, maybe even the word informal placed in front of it would help it a little. That's fine. It does. I just think it needs to be the kind of thing where you figure out who are the people who could mm-hmm. talk to these people meaningfully Exactly. And then try to see if you can get them to actually do it, mm-hmm. um, because right. we all talk about doing this, but it does not always happen. So, um, but I, but I think maybe that would help it because then it sort of takes the professional the, piece out of it. Yeah, the the yeah. I, I understand that risk, yeah. right? Yeah, the, a little bit of the risk and a little bit of the professional mm-hmm. piece out of that, and. Okay. Um, doesn't have quite the same expectations around its process because. You know, it, mm-hmm. it should be consistent, but it might not be the same. So I think I might be okay with that. Okay. I don't have a problem with that. And I actually like the idea of the conflict resolution area because there is training that you can get in that area, sure. and that's important. So if we want to make that a little bit more, if we want to be, if that committee wants to be more effective, uh, certainly that kind of training is available out there. Right. And that's something to look at. Good. Thank you, Dan. Well, and Chris had his hand up. Uh, and I think Doug, yeah, Doug, Doug, Doug you're, I think you're up next, Doug. Thank you, Pat. Um, maybe complaint resolution is the phrase you're, you're looking for rather than conflict resolution. It's a little less formal. 
Um, but that's not my, the point I wanted to make, uh, request uh, clarification of. Sure. I, at the end, I believe it says that an appeal can be uh, requested by the complainant. But I didn't see anything that said that the defendant, uh, you know, the um, respondent can uh, also appeal. Uh, was yeah. that purposeful? Oh, yes, yes, yes. They, oh, they both can appeal, Doug. Yes. Okay, good. I, I'm I, sorry. I, sure I may not have explained then. that well. But All yes, right. either party can appeal. That, uh, then please, uh, I, I would not vote for this if it did not include that language. So right. I, no. I, I, I agree with you on that, Doug. No, but they bo- both can appeal. Right. Patrick, I have a comment. This is Jeff. Go ahead, Jeff. So I have a couple of things to say. Um, I would like to hold on one second. I would like to um, bring up bring up a couple of things. I think that bringing this in front of affiliates is fantastic, but more importantly, it needs to be brought before the membership. So if we're going to do this, it need we need to set up a series of community events where we give the membership of this organization ample opportunity to provide input um, because it's the members that are going to have to live with the consequences of what this board ultimately decides. So Jeff, um, I just got to wholeheartedly agree from Connie, by the way, to my left. Um, and I'll go back to Chris on this. You're going to get a concurrence from the, Concurrence from, let's say, the affiliates, Chris, right, of the 66 or 68, whatever, affiliates we have. Jeff, how would you go if we amended the motion? How would you get the membership in a series of community calls to endorse this? I, I, th- I think you, the, the, uh, you would amend it by saying that this would be brought forward uh, at, to the president's of the affiliates with then a series of community events would then be scheduled to uh, discuss the matter among affiliate presidents and an affiliate membership to ensure okay. that all issues were considered. Okay. Chris, it, are you making, uh, let me see Jeff. If I have more to say, by the way, when we're done with okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see. Chris, is that, are you okay with that? That's not very different from what you suggested. No, but I, I, I want to make, uh, I, I think it's important that the discussion be based on the document being in people's hands. I'm not saying they can only refer to the document. No one has I'm to be publicly is, posted. Yeah, no, well, yeah, it has to be so that people have something to look at rather right. than just Absol- talking absolutely. about Absolutely. No, of okay. course. Um, secondly, uh, I think a lot of Connie's points are, are true, and I think we really need to nail down what it is we mean by conflict resolution, because it sure as heck isn't clear to me based on this discussion. And maybe it's in the policy, and I've forgotten it. I did read it, but, um, but I, I think... You know, there's lots of ways of doing conflict resolution. And frankly, you can have volunteer mediators. That doesn't have to be a cost. I'm not promoting mediation, but I think we need to sit down and think about 
what kind of conflict resolution we are intending by this policy and whether we would consider additional forms of conflict resolution if one or both of the parties requested it. Um, and as to recordings, the most likely thing that's going to happen with recordings, as far as I can see in my experience, is not that uh, it's that the, the complainant and or the respondent will come in with their own with their own digital recorder and record for their own purposes. And I don't think we can I don't think we can stop that. So anyway, those are my thoughts. Yeah. Thank well, you, Chris. Uh, let me go back to Jeff. Go ahead, Jeff Bishop. And then uh, as far as the uh, the process of who can file code of conduct, I think this is something that's very important. Uh, I, I think that if someone who has not been harmed brings forward a complaint, um, then third party, right, right, a third party, mm-hmm. then the party who is harmed must be contacted and Absolutely. asked if they wish to have their have this process continue. If the party does not agree to that then it should only, and I believe this is written this way, but I don't think it was called out specifically in your, and if it was, I'm sorry if, it, if I missed it. Uh, if, it. if they do not agree, if the party who was harmed does not agree to take this forward in process because they think it, for whatever reason, right? It could be any, any mm-hmm. number of reasons. Then the only process this organization should undertake is conflict resolution. Right. Period. Uh, and... I think that rather than spell that out in the process document, Jeff, I would say that that would be under the guidelines of the code of conduct panel who can have their own process built in. So you don't have to define everything in this. I would like your process. Well, Mm -hmm. I think I think that it needs to be that the panel needs to be advised that this is the recommended Yes. This is the recommended right. path and and that there should be there should be adequate reasoning and and it should be explained as to why they are diverting from that path. In other words, in other words if if, if it's a if it's a a crime, for example, let's say someone was was assaulted in some way, well then that that's reason to 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 defer from the the recommended path, right? That, 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 that's a reason right. that, that, you know, you need to do what's right in that, in that situation. But if it's a, if it, if it's not, and they chose to, to divert from that path, then they need to explain them themselves. Like the, there needs to be accountability throughout the process. Right. Okay. M- Mr. And my next, I've been trying to, Jeff, are you, two things, a comment and a question. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, uh, okay. Let me go. Dan, are you up next? Dan. We've, we've got a lot of people providing feedback and Patrick, you keep saying yes, 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 but that's not how this works. And you know, you, we're all, we're all on this. So, so Chris has made a motion. Uh, Connie seconded the motion. So we're, we're debating right now. The motion that's on the floor is to approve the document as written, and that be the intermediate document from July 1st to August 31st, at which time we'll receive input. And I thought we were going there with um, 
uh, with the first part of Jeff's comment to that motion that that feedback should include not only an outreach to the affiliates, but also to the members with a process mm -hmm. to receive back that information. And I think Chris said there would be dialogue and discussion, but formal comments to amend that uh, our procedure would be submitted to the board in writing. Is that what you said, Chris? That was your motion. Okay. Okay. And, and so for the part, first part that Jeff brought up about having membership involvement, is that a friendly motion, a, a friendly amendment to your motion, Chris? Okay. And to you, Connie, is the second. Okay. So we're good on that part. Okay. Now, the second position that Jeff brought up is a total, is not included in the document as it's written right now, is not included. If we wish to, um, this is the second part, because we're in this motion, we're not only approving the, the we're approving this as the interim process from July 1st to, to August 31st, and we're also approving how we're going to get to the final document on August 31st. Now, Jeff's second point is a, is, is a discussion, and if he wants to make it as a motion, to change the written document as presented. So if Jeff wants to put that in play as a motion, then he needs a second, and then we need to debate, before we go back to Chris's motion, if it's not a friendly amendment, that yes. we would change and add, it sounds like, a pretty good section to the document about how we want to handle um, uh, complaints and down that third line. party complaints. Third party complaints. I, I so move because because that right now is not in the document at all. I, I so move, Dan. And all right, uh, hold on. Jeff has at least made a motion on the floor. Connie, and David Con has a question. And go, please. I'm, I'm going to give you the mic or give somebody, David, the mic. I think this. Uh, okay, I don't have. I don't have a problem with Jeff making a motion. What I have a problem with is it's out of order. If you want to take Jeff's motion, it has to come after we do with uh, Chris's. Yes, it does. I'm fine with I'm fine with that from a processing perspective. I would okay. I, I would vote for Chris's motion as as it stands okay. right now. Okay, so as, as Jeff, long, you're as, as long as members get to provide feedback. Okay. Okay. So you're you're withdrawing what you had as an amendment to the motion. Okay. Yes, but I want to make the other I, motion. Uh, okay. Eventually. Uh, hold on. Let me. Let's. Jeff has the floor right now. So let's finish. Let Jeff finish his thoughts, and then Jeff, I'll recognize you. So go ahead, Jeff Bishop. Patrick, yes. Can I take your mic? Can I have it back? I'm not sure. <laughs> Dan, all I was gonna all I was gonna say was I I'm fine with proceeding. I just would like to then be able to move forward on the motion that I would like to make. After 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 we deal with Chris's motion. After Chris's motion. Correct. After, after Chris. After Chris's motion. Okay, I don't know what that means because after Chris's motion, we're we're done with this particular item. Okay. So go ahead. Well. Yeah, if we're out of order, though, I, th I think that somebody misunderstood what I was saying. Yeah. Jeff made a friendly amendment to Chris's motion. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with that. Right. I was talking about when he went on to talk about the next part 
that we couldn't take a motion on that. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, okay. I'm good with the, we're good with the friendly part, but then you brought in the whole part about the third party and all that. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean that. that well, but I be, think that. But I think that, that would be an amendment to the motion, which we'd have to take care of before we got back to the original motion. Well, that's what I thought, but so I'm sorry for the confusion, everyone. So, so, Mr. President, ahead, if this Jeff. isn't viewed as friendly, I'll withdraw it. But okay. I really think that we can't, if we're going to have community calls and comments from the presidents, that it ought to be extended to the October board meeting. People aren't around during summer. I mean, I think out of total fairness, it ought to be extended till October. All right. So you're offering that as a friendly amendment. I hope that is a friendly amendment. Chris and Connie. I'm taking Ray's got his hand up. I'm taking him to the mic. I'm well, first it's for Chris. Oh, it's Chris. Chris. No, no, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It goes. It has to go to Chris. It has to go okay, to Chris. Go. Chris. Back to you. I'm fine with that as a friendly amendment. If Connie is, and she is, and Connie is, so that's a friendly amendment that it won't be August 31st, but it will be. October 22nd. Okay. Okay. Let me see if I can bring some sanity back to this here. Um, at least I'll try. So my thought is um, that I would like to see us vote on Chris's motion. Um, and then as part of the socialization, the getting feedback, uh, part of that can include adding the language, which Jeff, as Jeff Bishop has suggested, be added to deal with the third party issues. And then we bring that back as part of what we discuss and ultimately approve on October 22nd. I, I, Ray, that's a, I think we're going to have a lot of those type of things. Uh, yeah, so, exactly. Of which Jeff's could be one of them. Sure, yeah. absolutely. That's, that's, it, that, that's why, I, the, the that's board, why I was trying to get to over yeah, here. The board so. can do as they wish here, so, but I think if we start going So I believe this, we should call the question on Chris's motion. I, I only, I have, before we get to that point, because about four people ago, I asked for the mic to do some clarification around the, the procedure that was in place. And this is directed back to the ad hoc team of Patrick, Jeff, and, uh, and, and, and David. David. Yeah. And that is because ultimately when we pass this, I'm going to get to play a role in implementing this, right? Of putting, because starting July 2nd, we've got to put a committee together and we've got uh, also to have a process for a grievance panel from the board. I believe both of those were mentioned. So in the, in the policy as a procedure as it's written right now, it says a, I forget the exact word, but a panel of three. But then we've talked about, besides a panel of three, a conflict resolution team of two, and I think a second potentially conflict resolution team of two. Right. So... Where my mind goes to, because this is at least something we've had to deal a lot with through the code of conduct that's taken place right now. Believe it or not, we're all a pretty close group, and a lot of us know each other and have very close dealings with each other. And so it's hard when putting these panels in, together to get people that aren't already intimately involved in the situation that's going on. So... Uh, and Patrick, and I think we had a little bit of a conversation around this. I, and, and maybe this is a, 
a friendly amendment to the procedure. I don't know how to ask this, but to me, what would seem easier to implement as the president would be not that this committee is three people, but that it's seven people. Right. And you let the committee decide of those seven Seven. based on relationships and who knows who and who's available and and all those good things that we have to go through that you then from that, from that committee or team of seven, select the right two people to How handle the work. conflict right. of that interest. That would be internal committee and then, staff. And then ultimately, but, but for this procedure, I think it needs to say that the president is nominating a chair and six other people, a total of seven people to be on the committee. And how they put that panel, code of conduct panel, and the, you know, that can be interchangeable. That, that so, can be. They, they can play different they can roles. Play different roles. They can play right, different exactly. roles, but I think that would give us the the latitude we need to operate. Right. I, I'm worried that we're restricted with the three. And then, oh, no, and then I, nowhere, I didn't mean to be prescriptive And then I don't like know where that. the two, who, how they get yeah, yeah, nominated. Yeah. But this way, if they were all, if, if the president nominated a chair and six other individuals, and those folks could work at putting the, <clears> the conflict of interest teams together and the panel together if we got to an investigation. Is Good. That- Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think seven gives us that that leeway, you know, because I don't because then we're going to be doing it somewhere on the fly and who has the authority to do it and all that. So right. is everybody you guys all good with yeah. that? OK. And then the other thing, it, it doesn't say that the president appoints the grievance panel. So there's a three person grievance panel that you said gets appointed if if either. It says there's a three person grievance panel, but I didn't hear anything. It, at least when I read the document, I didn't hear it say the president yeah. appoints three members of the board. Yeah, I think it did, okay. Dan. I have it right here. I think it did, Dan. Okay, I read it again last night, but I could, or this morning, but I could have been wrong. It says. Um, I got it right here. It, okay, this is what it says. Um, if a complainant or the defendant disagree with the panel's decision, that third party may appeal within th- 90 days of the decision to the human resource specialist who will forward it to the board grievance committee, which will be appointed by the president and consist of three members of the board of directors. Okay, okay. So is that once it gets forwarded, then the president appoints a grievance right. panel for that particular yeah. investigation. Yeah, but I again back to this thing that everybody knows everybody. It's kind of you gotta you kind of have to be a little yeah. Yeah, I must have to do it each time. Okay. All right, I'm with you. Okay, so that sounds like that's covered. Okay. So as Ray asked, given that. I, in, in respect of everybody, I, I know it's a very important subject, but in uh, fairness to everybody in, in, in the time, I would like to uh, call the question, if you all are okay with that. Point of order. Yes. I wanted to call the question. Point of order. This is, yeah, this is Doug. Uh, so my understanding, when Connie reread it, uh, it sounds like it only says that the complainant can, can uh, appeal. And I wanted to make sure that 
Uh, if party. I needed to say an amendment to, if I needed to, you know, make sure that, so it's I, I want to make either, sure that the party, both parties Doug. can. And if, if I need to make a motion to that effect, I will do that. Okay. Let, let's verify it. Yeah. It says um, the complainant or the defendant disagrees with the panel's decision. So it says either party. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Sorry. Okay, so that's in the language. All right. Any other point of orders, point of clarifications? Hearing none, I'm going to call the question. All in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, David. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Julie. And thank you, Rosalie. And thank you all for all your due diligence in this effort. We appreciate it very much. Now, 13, we're, oh, 13, we're going to hear from Penny Reader. Get us a little lightheartedness here going, Penny. Tell us how are things going with the Board of Publications. We're going to hear from Penny Reader, BOP Director. Penny. Penny, go ahead and unmute. Penny's on Zoom, yep. Go ahead and unmute, Penny. Okay, I think I'm finally unmuted. I'm sorry, you guys. You got it. Um, I have a, a quick report uh, because it hasn't been that long since we talked about what we've been doing in the Board of Publications. Uh, everyone on the board is at convention in person, except, unfortunately, for me. And I miss all of you. Um, everyone on the Board of Publication who is in Omaha is helping Sharon in the Communications Center. Um, and if you guys have uh, questions or issues or problems, you should seek them out because they are right there and you can talk to them in person. Um, as you know, the large print guidelines that the BOP adopted are now in effect. Uh, they have been applied to the program. I hope, we hope you like the program. And the March uh, Braille Forum was the first forum that was produced in according to those guidelines. Um, Deb has already talked about uh, the changes that the BOP endorses with respect to the leadership uh, email discussion list, and we're excited that those things may actually come to pass within the next couple of months. Um, and I cannot think of anything that I'm forgetting. Um, if, if Deb or Katie or anyone else wants to add to my report, you're certainly welcome to. Uh, we meet every month on the first Tuesday of the month, except that we are not meeting in July because our first Tuesday is already pretty busy with convention activities. Um, our meetings are always streamed live on uh, ACB Media, and there are also Zoom links uh, that are included in the agenda that Katie sends out either on the day before or the day of our meetings, and we welcome everyone's participation. Um, uh, the blog is still going full, full steam, and we encourage anyone who's there in Omaha to uh, write a blog entry and let us know how it's going. Um, you can look forward to an excellent blog entry from Zelda about her experience of walking to Omaha. Um, 
And I think that wraps up my report. Thank you all very much. I've enjoyed your meeting so far. Thank you so much, Penny. Are there any questions uh, for Penny? Here, hearing none, I have a motion to approve the BOP report. Chris made Chris Bell makes the motion. Ray Campbell seconds. All, all right. All in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed. All right. Thank you, Penny. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Item 14 on the agenda is the ACB media affiliate, uh, if ACB media and affiliate engagement policy. Uh, this uh, was uh, an effort put together. I want to thank Rick Morin and uh, his team for all their hard efforts and kind of trying to get something down on paper force. Uh, Jennifer Flat was working on this before she. Um, uh, left as our communications director, and I appreciate Rick kind of taking this up and and getting it to at least a draft form. The goal is not to vote on this today. A little similar to what Chris was saying, uh, we felt like it just needed to be brought to the board's attention, and then we would like to socialize it in the same manner that we we're talking about for the code of conduct uh, process procedure. Uh, where we would uh, take it to the affiliates, to the members, have community calls, uh, the uh, in, you know the affiliate presidents meeting, as well as the special interest uh, affiliate circle. Uh, but again, have that good conversation with everybody, uh, and then bring back a formal document with input for the board's approval in the fall board meeting on October twenty second. Uh, well. Uh, that would be good if you can make a motion, if you wish. And Okay, I would like to make a motion. What do we call this policy again? It's the ACB Media and Affiliate Engagement Policy. I would move that the ACB Media and Affiliate Engagement Policy draft be... Now, did you want it adopted in an interim basis? No. No, just, okay. Just, that, yeah. it, that it be... Um, uh, transmitted to the presidents of our affiliates and be available to the members for purposes of uh, providing written or other comments and that the document would be finalized and presented to the board at the October what, 28th meeting? 22nd. 22nd meeting. Thank you, Chris. Do I have a second? All right, David is seconded. And then I want Rick to provide us some feedback if he's with us. What kind of feedback are you looking for, Dan? Just general no, I, conversation I got, about the policy. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Yes. It, I got called when, when this you were is introducing a, all this. Sure, sure. This is the uh, ACB media yeah, affiliate these, engagement policy. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, it, 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 as you all know, ACB Media is doing uh, a ton of work uh, for affiliates and actually committees and other folks, too. And, um, you know, there's been uh, we've been approaching this in a very informal way where we have applied resources uh, to the best to the best you know extent we could. And recently, we've been, uh, you know, for for several years, as an example, we were sending resources 
uh, in person to places like RSVA to the Sagebrush Conference has nothing to do with the fact that it's in Vegas every year. Just happens to be a pure coincidence. Um, at the Golden Nugget Hotel on Fremont Street. Um, <laughs> and I, I could keep going on that for a long time, believe me. Right, right next to the Heart Attack Cafe, Heart Attack Grill. <laughs> Anyways, um, and and Jeff, the, you know, I heard they had pretty good book on that Celtic series there too. Uh, anyways, so so you know we've been doing that, and um, you know as we get in, as we've been getting into the whole hybrid uh, thing, uh, you know we've been doing. Uh, last year, we did a couple of hybrids that were audio only, and we've been trying to turn the corner and include video uh, more and more in a lot of what we're doing. And uh, as we include video and as we're, we're, as we're trying to do at this convention, the complexity kind of grows uh, exponentially, you know, on that. Uh, our ability to just be shipping resources out um, to help people locally is not as easy as it once was. Um, there's a whole bunch of logistics. Um, one thing, though, that we have been doing pretty successfully is uh, supporting affiliates remotely. Um, just like today, as an example, Jeff is actually streaming this event uh, from his home out there in, um, in Washington. And, and that's pretty much been, you know, par for the course for, for a lot of what we do. Uh, we just did a convention, you know, in, high, in uh, hybrid mode in Florida. Um, and, uh, you know, Ryan Cordell, who is here with us supporting this convention, was supporting it on the ground there in Florida and has done such a great job that we decided to hire him to, to come support, the, you know, the convention here. So... So the policy, what, what that what that whole policy does is basically try to, you know, formalize some things around uh, when requests can be made, if uh, and what the expectations are between ACB and the affiliate. Should there be some special requests along the lines of staffing, you know, supporting it? Um, you know, one of the things that's in that policy, as an example, that there was a lot of misunderstanding about was. Uh, if if we do have a case where uh, we will we are able to send resource, it comes down to who pays for that resource. And in that policy, you'll see that the affiliates need to bear all costs. One of the things we're finding out is that hybrids are considerably more cost more money to operate than than a normal convention. And we're finding uh, more and more that affiliates need to. Uh, acquire either some AV equipment on their side or hire AV equipment, and those costs need to be, um, you know, need to be considered too. So, um, so I, you know, and and I, you know, the the cost for running this hybrid convention. I don't know if we want to get into that, but we're easily going to spend three times the amount the amount of money on AV for this convention than we ever have in the past, uh, if not four times. So that's just trying to give you an order of magnitude, and that's just not here. The affiliates are starting to feel that too. So 
So what, what we do in there is we, you know, we put some time parameters around when requests can be made of ACB Media. Uh, we're not trying to get, um, you know, we're saying people can request support um, as early as six months out, but no closer than 60 days. Uh, one of the other things that's in there that will probably raise an eyebrow is that we are asking that there be a black blackout period 45 days prior to the national convention and 45 days after the national convention um, so that we can prepare, we can be you know very focused on the national convention. The planning for this convention has been going on for a couple months. Uh, the FCB convention happened in the middle of it. Um, we supported it. We and and their convention next year is going to be pretty close to the to the time frame. We're going to support that too, because we you know we will certainly grandfather any commitments that people have made. But it it you know the um, the amount of man hours that that go into preparing for a convention like this. You know uh, you know it it it's it's off the charts. It's incredible. So, and then after the convention, uh, the amount of work that's involved for us to take all the archives, you know, I mean, we're already getting calls saying, when am I going to get the recordings of the stuff that's happened in the sessions already? Uh, it takes us a good 45 days to process all of that stuff, to edit it, and to, to then get it out in podcast fashion and in the hands of people. Um, so, so that, that, that's that's the logic for for those blackout periods. Um, and uh, again, if affiliates have booked uh, hotels, you know, months in advance or years in advance, rather, uh, we will certainly work with them. But you know, on a go forward basis, we would. We've always asked affiliates to kindly uh, check with us before dates were were committed to and and what started to become more the norm was we were being called after the dates had been established and one of the constraints we have is we cannot do more than two conventions on a weekend and each convention probably ties up about 10 people and if you've got two conventions going on on a weekend that's 20 people that get tied up between the people that cindy applies to it and the people we apply to it uh, just so you know, right now we're running a volunteer staff of ACB Media, about 35 people, um, and those are not 35 full-time equivalents. Those are 35 people that we have pieces of these people over time. Um, we probably need to grow that, uh, and this will probably be a major, uh, a major thing, Dan, for the support committee to help us with, is how we can grow our volunteer base from 35 to 100. We probably need to get it up to 100 to be able to do some of the things that we're being asked to do. So we face a situation where demand for our services far outstrip our ability to, you know, to deliver on them. Uh, so as we, as we're working through that, you know, we, we just have to, to be a lot more formal and a lot less do, do things a lot less ad hoc than we've done them in the past. And that's what spurred that whole, the, that whole thing. Uh, also, you know, recent experience, um, some some recent uh, misunderstandings we've had, um, you know, are addressed in that in that in that document as well. Any questions? All right. Thank you, Rick. Yes, David. Yeah, I was going to say he's going to be answering it. Here, keep that one in. By the way, Michael's lost 10 pounds today. 
I need a loose log. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Okay, not not to cause a conflict here, but I need a point of information. If I'm understanding this document correct, uh, sagebrush, the way we do it now, would not be in compliance with this document. Um, Why do you say that? Well, you're sending staff. You're sending uh, resources. Who's paying for it? Sagebrush has always paid for it. Do they pay for the staff time? Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, it it doesn't say in that document that they pay for man time, but, you know, travel, lodging, meals, uh, ground transportation, Sagebrush has always paid for all of that. We would not have done it any any other way. Oh, it it sure stretches the envelope because it's longer than a weekend convention. This is was my no, it, it does. It, it's a five day thing, and and you know we've done it now for about ten years, and I fully expect that you know we're going to have some some interesting conversations coming up to the next year because there are going to be people that are going to be questioning it. Right, and and just I mean this is how we've moved forward here in the last five six years, and I know David Patrick, many of you guys, Jeff, been on the board for a while. We passed an ACB radio, called ACB radio then, an ACB radio policy here five, six years ago that said, you know, if an affiliate wanted to have ACB radio uh, broadcast their convention, that the affiliate had to pay $200 and provide the streamers. And basically at that point, it was Larry Turnbull would then pick it up and at least put it out on one of our for ACB radio channels, you know, and so in any, any use of Larry's time beyond that, the affiliate had to pay for, that's our current policy, which we're not adhering to at all. Right. When the pandemic happened, we moved to a whole new world here. So kind of what we were talking about earlier, we really do need to get our policies found and then cleaned up. Uh, so, okay. Thank you, Rick. Um, all right. Uh, we have a motion on the floor. Again, this is not to approve the policy, but just the process that we're going to use going forward to adopt the ACB media and affiliate engagement policy. So all those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? All right. Item 16, we have uh, another policy. Thanks, guys. 15, excuse me, 15. Thank you, Thank you, Rick. 15, we have another policy, which is our... Uh, document disclosure policy, uh, and this is something that uh, Clark Rockville, Deb Cook-Lewis have been working on for a period of months, and usually uh, with the support of Matt Hanley, who's on our advisory board and is a pro bono attorney that provides the services to ACB. And so uh, I'll go with, I, I guess, Clark and then Deb. Uh, would you like to introduce the document retention policy? Great. Thank you so much, Dan, and hope everyone's had a chance to review the document retention policy. It became evident, uh, I'd say, over the the past year with ongoing legal advocacy that ACB is involved with, that we, we do not have a uniform policy on how ACB handles uh, electronic communications and file storage. Um, so that there was a clear need for a policy like this. And a big thank you to Rick Morin, Deb Cook-Lewis, Cindy Hollis, Nancy Becker for working with our advisory board member, Matt Handley, uh, to to help pull this together. 
Um, and I'll keep it brief and see if Deb has anything that she would like to add as well. All right. Um, well, I, I just would um, concur that this is an important issue. Uh, we have so much stuff. And, and as we were explaining to uh, Matt Hanley, it's not like just keeping a few um, files around, you know, a few documents that people have written or like, how long do you keep your email? Those kinds of things. Um, what's appropriate to save in email? What, what doesn't matter? Um, that there are cookies in the break room, you know, maybe we can let that go, but I think we should save that actually. But, um, but you know, there's that, but then we have so much, um, recorded media because, um, Cindy told you she has, you know, uh, over a hundred zoom calls a week and those are adding up. And then we have all the ACB media streams and uh, we have all of the other content that we, um, that we have. And so this is all space taking. Um, it requires a sort of content management to find it. If you were to find it, need to find it. And so there's a whole lot that really goes into this whole process. And so, um, uh, Matt did advise us around sort of kind of what the expectations would be in terms of the minimum of keeping it and, you know, documents and things we can keep longer than we can media. But, um, you know, as long as I think we make people really aware of how long we're going to have media. So if you have a, an issue about something in media and you want to come back to it in a couple of years, uh, unless it's something we're preserving because we like it, um, we may not have it. So um, I think it's really good to have that clarification. And um, I think staff did a wonderful job of working through this process. And so I hope the board will want to uh, accept it. Thank you, Deb. Do I have a motion to approve the document? The storage All right. All right. Oh, Patrick, you got a oh, well, well, hold on. Let, let's make. Let's let uh, Ray made the motion. Do I have a second? Thank you, Ray. Do I? Oh. oh. <laughs> we we handed the mic to Patrick and then asked Ray to speak. Yes, we're going to make me do that again. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Ray Campbell will move that the board adopt the document retention policy as proposed. Thank you, Ray. Do I have a second? Chris Bell seconds. And now I think Patrick has a question. And then David wants in the queue. Thanks. Um, I'm not quite sure. Is this document retention policy in conflict with what we were told with the code of conduct where we had to keep perhaps some of the evidence in perpetuity? No. Are we sure? Are we sure it's consistent? Wait a minute. Clark, Clark and Deb. So uh, Deb, I think, has a comment. Back to you. Yeah, yeah. This this policy basically is the overall policy, and you can have 
subsets of things. Um, there are thing and there are things that you uh, want will want to keep into perpetuity or seven years, which is what most people think is perpetuity. But but um, but basically, you know, you can establish um, other time frames for individual kinds of things. But this is really about what does ACB do as the default. Okay, David's next. Yep. Okay. Right. And then Rick wanted to in the queue. Okay. It's it's funny because the History and Archives Committee, uh, and we we haven't done a good job of communicating out with with Eric and team, but uh, this is something we 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 looked at and agree that we need. Uh, I've got some problems with the policy as it's written now. Uh, I told them to Eric and Eric said, the attorney said, you didn't want to put too many different exceptions or whatever in the list in there. But what we're looking at from the perspective of archives and history is that we want stuff available for research for people who research blindness and blindness organizations. We want that stuff available. And, and that we're working on getting that in some kind of a manageable, um, formats and different things. Uh, but we've literally got thousands of hours of tapes, thousands of hours of, of pic or thousands and thousands of pictures, uh, and then documents. The other thing that we're doing, Connie, myself and Donna Brown mostly are working on it is we're going through old minutes and putting together the policies from those minutes. And as I read this policy, I mean this, yeah, this, uh, document retention policy, I don't see this as fitting with it. It looks like it's contrary. Okay, going to Rick. Come to Rick. This is the this is the high level from an attorney standpoint. Yeah. The documents you need to keep in place dealing with legal matters. Yeah, is that, is that yeah. way yeah. I'm understanding? Well, and, that, and that's the whole point, okay. right? I I mean, we can choose to keep anything we want to huh? keep. Okay. Oh yeah, getting close to the end. I'm sorry. I mean, we can choose to keep whatever we want to keep. The point is, you know, there are we don't have to keep documents for whatever longer than the prescribed period of time that's in there. Um, just let me just give you a, a case in point. OK, I was involved with a company and we did not discard anything. We got sued. We had a million and a uh, million five hundred thousand pages of documents that got Apple called Apple, into what are you doing what are you doing you are a goofball we've got some people on zoom that got called into discovery oh i'm sorry and um you know and, and it just cost the company an incredible amount of money so part of what this policy is all about is to uh put you know, put us in a situation where we can discard things and not be compelled to hold things that we may end up regretting having all this stuff in our folders uh, should, in fact, you know, somebody make a claim against against ACB. OK, thank you, Rick. Uh, David, did you have anything? Hang on. OK, Mike. Let, let David and then Connie okay. wishes to have the floor next. You know, I don't disagree with what Rick's saying, but that's not what the document says, folks. I read it. It ain't there. 
You know, we can say it means what we want to, but if you read that document critically, it's not there. Okay. I agree. Connie, and then we will have Clark or uh, reply to the Clark or Deb reply to the question that David has. Okay, go ahead, Connie. I, I agree with David. I mean, being on the archive with him and going through documents, I and reading through this, and David and I kind of talked about this yesterday. I feel the same way. I mean, there's definitely some stuff that needs to be kept, but reading through this process, it it's not Pacific. And I I don't feel comfortable the way it's written. And it, going back to the code of conduct, I mean, again, it doesn't say um, we just talked about 30 days and 90 days and stuff. And it, it almost feels like it's contradicting stuff. So I don't like how it's written. And I agree with David on this. There's no exceptions on things. So I just, I, I don't feel comfortable with it. Um, again, I, I would just add that this policy was written from a, a legal perspective. It notes what may be deleted after a given time period. It's to reduce the burden on the organization of what we would be required to produce if it is outside the time limits set forth in this policy. Um, I... I will agree with you that this will not, from the sounds of it, David, meet the the needs and purposes of the the committee that you are working on. And I think it would be appropriate to have a you know a specific policy related to to archives. Um, but in, in terms of the materials produced by staff in the course of our business operations. We need a framework like this in place to reduce the burdens on on the organization. All right, Ray. Uh, and we, you used a very I'm, key word there. And I, I, I'm going hold on, to Ray, one, one second. But when Clark made his made his comment, he said, "May is that we're saying people are saying that doesn't say that in the document. Does it say maybe?" Um, that may be deleted or maybe I, I read them, but I don't have them in front of me to know every word. Uh, it, this okay. is Clark, Dan. Yes. it. And if Nancy's pulling it up now, it does say may be deleted. Maybe not will be deleted, but may it, either. It, it Correct. May like, be deleted. Yes. Like, okay. like Deb, we, we all want to know uh, in perpetuity whether those cookies are available in the lunchroom. Right, right. Okay, and now Ray. Uh, yeah, Clark, um, Ray. Okay. I'm, I'm going to withdraw my motion, and the reason I'm going to do that is I feel like uh, while this is written from a legal standpoint of what we have to do, we also want to preserve our history as much as possible, and so I would like to suggest that this draft that the folks involved go back and work with the archive committee to come up with some language that would address all of the needs and bring it back to us for the August 31st board meeting to consider and approve. Okay. I, this is Dan. I think we're at cross purpose. These are two different objectives. 
So I, I think I'm we going, gotta be I'm really going to make a motion. I think a, that'll help the problem. Okay, thank you. I, I, I move that we accept the document as is with the understanding that we will work in the by the October board meeting to add the things that we need to preserve where they're protected because it says we'll be decided who decides, you know, that's a little vague. However, I like the document. I understand the need for it. And I don't want us to leave the room today without it because we we've talked about this too many years. If we can, if, if we can just accept that, you know, ending there with, uh, uh, adding, you know, protected documents now and deciding on that by the October meeting, I move that we accept it as is with that. Second. And we have a second. So, okay. Okay. Hang on, Ray. I'm actually going to withdraw and uh, I'll go with David's motion. I like that. So, so I feel like we're talking about two different things. We're, we're talking about two different documents. We're talking about business operation and, and legal exposure that, that ACB as a business could uh, incur or face. Mm -hmm. And then we're talking about our history and documents and archives that we wish to retain um, that we frankly can, we can specify to whatever degree we want to keep in whatever format uh, for however long. Um, these, in, in my view, we can have both of these, um, but I don't know how we get the archive verbiage into the document retention policy that speaks to all of our business and business related stuff. Uh, that's a perfectly legitimate response, Eric. And I, but I don't think there's anything in David's motion that says it has to be in one document. Okay. Yeah, and, and I'm perfectly content with it being in another document. Okay. Very good. Thank you. All right. All right. So Ray withdrew, and who was the seconder? Chris was okay with it being withdrawn. And now we're back to David making a new motion. And Jeff seconded Jeff Tom. And are we good? Do we have any other discussion on the new motion? Madam Secretary, are you comfortable with the motion? Because I'm a little hazy. So I want to make sure you're okay since you're taking the meeting minutes. Okay. So d maybe, David, if you could restate your motion that Jeff seconded. Oh, Jeff has the mic. <laughs> okay. Essentially, my motion was that uh, we accept the document as is with the uh, addition that we set up a way to determine how we could protect our historical archives. And bring that, bring that back to the board. Yeah. Bring it the, back to the board the in, in October, October, but this meeting. policy would take effect immediately. Okay. All right. And Jeff, Tom has seconded that motion. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and call the question. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? 
All right, this next item. Dan? Was, yes. This Kim. Is Kim. Yes. Hello, Kim. How have you Hi, been I've been today? kind of quiet today, but uh, <laughs> um, I just wanted to make one comment about the motion that we just passed, which I support. Um, I, I'll have to find it, but um, through through my work, we've been dealing with this issue for uh, decades. Um, the 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 issue about you know, how much of your business operational materials you keep and for how long and the historical archive side of what you do as well. So I, I will commit to um, look for our policies and how we've dealt with that at Perkins and share that with um, the group that's going to be working on, on the finalizing this, the, the team that created the, this policy we just approved. Yes, and you, uh, you of course, are part of the Archives Committee. I so think I would, am, yes. It would that's be a true. really wonderful item for you and David and Chris Gray as the Archives Committee to work yeah. with, the, uh, with Clark and Deb. So thanks. Okay, mm-hmm. very good. Thank you, Kim. All right. The next item, what was really, a, I was so optimistic when the day started. Uh, boy, we, yes, it, I, well, I, I don't, we, we have talked about the, uh, I know most of this board has been involved in both the committee chairs meeting as well as the affiliate presidents meetings where we talked about the length of the convention. Just in the interest of uh, time, I, I, it's on the agenda, uh, but boy, if we talk about this for an hour and a half, uh, we may have, can we set a time limit on this or do you want to table this? Or, or oppose, or how about the August meeting? That could be a really good time to focus on it. Yeah, yeah. So that's maybe you good with the August meeting? Yeah. Yeah, Dan, I move we table that agenda item until the August meeting. Okay, thank you, Doug. Post postpone, not table. Postpone to the August meeting. All right, Doug. Doug, is uh, you okay with postponing, Doug? Yes, I don't understand the difference, but I'm fine. Yeah, well, okay. Do I I need a second on a postponement? Okay, uh, I'll go with Ray. Ray has uh, seconded the postponement. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? All right. We now are at our last item, which is uh, committee reports. Any officers that wish uh, or board members who are assigned that wish to report on committees? Ray. And Rick, I know it's a late hour. Can we can we cue the have you got the song? The song. Oh, okay. I, I'm no 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 that, that, that wasn't Ray. That, I'm sorry. Okay. So, uh, you I see you I'm Rick, gonna sing. Rick, Maybe wrong, wrong R. Rick, Rick, can we cue the song? We don't. Okay, okay, never mind. Okay, go ahead. Um I just I'll be brief. Um, um, I liaison. First of all, um, I want to talk about the two of the committees I liaison to. Um, well, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll do um, all four of them um, just real quick because I don't want to leave anybody out. Um, first of all, the Multicultural Affairs Committee, they have got something going almost every day of the convention this week. And I really think that that is a huge step forward for ACB in our diversity, equity, and inclusion work. 
um, that, 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 that they're putting this some great programming together, including a discussion, which I'm really looking forward to, of non-political discussion of critical race theory. I'm looking forward to that a lot on Tuesday um, or Wednesday. Excuse me, get the date right. Um, anyways, um, so I think that's great. And also the work that the Hispanic uh, subcommittee has done, I think, is just tremendous work that they're doing. So I wanted to highlight that. Um, the Constitution and Bylaws Committee uh, has um, jumped up to the challenge and uh, worked through a number of amendments that you will uh, hear about um, later on in the week. Uh, and of course, I can't leave out the uh, Information Access Committee uh, with all their great programming that they, as usual, are doing and the a membership committee under the uh, leadership of Artis Bazin, this chair, uh, and the work that they're doing in their membership seminar coming up this week and all of that. So wanted to just mention that um, those committees and how very proud I am of the work, uh, much of which you will see uh, during this week at the, um, at the, uh, here at the convention. So uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Thanks. Thanks, Ray. And Donna, you wanted to speak on the MAPS mentoring program? Okay. Um, and if somebody give Kenneth the other one, just in case I forget something really important, because Kenneth really is is leading us. He's, he's, he's great as a leader. She's passing, uh, she's passing the book. <laughs> no, um, so quickly, yes, our mentoring team is hard at work. And, and I mean, we really have worked hard. We've hit a little bump in the road with creating the application forms. Uh, so we, we are, as soon as we can get that, uh, the, the applications are to go live for the mentors, which we are now calling guides, and the explorers, which we were calling mentees, but that now they're explorers. Um, and so we're hoping that even people in this room, even if you yourself, uh, you know, certainly all, all of us on the board are really busy, you don't have time to be a mentor, but you, uh, all of you have committee members maybe who, who uh, you might recommend as mentors and encourage them to apply. We, we really want to have a pool from mentors uh, so we can match them with the mentees. And excuse me, but we just keep using that words, mentors and mentees, but guides and explorers, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's hard to change. Um, but you'll hear a little bit more on, on Thursday, I think it is. Uh, so we're proceeding. We're about ready to have those applications go live on September or July 15th, and they will close on August 15th. And by the end of August, the uh, 12 explorers, will be selected and they will be matched hopefully with uh, a mentor and the program will begin in September. And it is a pilot program and thank you for everybody's support. I'm hoping continued support of the program. Kenneth, did I leave anything out? I think that was excellent. Sure. We are, we've done a whole lot since uh, our first meeting on February the 20th and I'm feel, feeling good about what we're doing now. That was a good, good report, Donna. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Kenneth. Uh, and thank you, Donna. And thank you, Donna Browning and Cheryl uh, Cummings for all your hard work in, in putting that and moving that forward. Thank you so much. It's really a collaborative effort. Do we have any other officers? All right. I will say as uh, the 
liaison to the audio description project. I want to give a special shout out here over the last six months. Uh, we, you know, over the course of the last three to four years, we have received, I believe, $375,000 in Google grants to audio describe visitor brochures through the Unity Project, working with the University of Hawaii and the National Park Service. And we've done really good at working with the Park Service and doing the descriptathons to create the, the visitor's brochures with audio description. But part of that grant requirement required us to go out and do field studies to see how these visiting bro visitor's brochures were working. What Google allowed us to do is instead of going to in-person field visits, we could do them virtually by having three of our ACB members uh, survey, uh, fill out a, a pretty significant survey uh, set of questions after listening to the visitor's brochure. And so Patrick Sheehan has been part of this for the last six months, uh, Kim Charlson, members of the ADP committee, member volunteers, and uh, and part of this was offering a stipend for uh, every review you did, you received uh, $75, which was part of the grant money. Uh, but we have, I think at last count, we're up to what, Nancy, about 80 or so uh, visitors brochures that have now been fully field tested uh, and we've satisfied the Google grant. So I just want to thank that team for all their hard efforts. It really was. Uh, and JoLynn Bailey Page uh, was our coordinator that pulled it all together. And so thank you so, so much for your efforts. And then the last thing is we have three board members uh, that unless they decide at the last second to run from the floor, Patrick Sheehan is termed out and uh, Michael Talley and Jim Crott are not seeking re-election. So I just want to take this time right now to thank each of these gentlemen for their service over the last four or eight years to the American Council of the Blind. So let's give them all a big round of applause. Thank you to all of you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. And with that, do I have a motion to adjourn? <clears throat> All right. Uh, Connie moved and Donna seconded. All those favors signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed. Better not. That's David. All right. Enjoy the convention, guys. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your week. So we're scrubbing the